At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In 2019, the first Strange Realities Conference took place in Nashville, Tennessee. The pandemic and turmoil the following year could not stop 2020's conference from thriving in cyberspace as a live streaming event. Now, for 2021, the third annual Strange Realities Conference will combine these worlds into a paranormal hybrid event, live in person in Nashville and streaming online. Join us in exploring just how truly strange our reality can be with an interdimensional lineup of speakers presenting unique and intellectual perspectives on magic, mysteries, and the paranormal. Featuring Alan Greenfield, Dr. J. Michael Bennett, a.k.a. Dr. Future, Tim Banal, Soraya Ascath, Dr. Stephen Finley, Aaron Gullius, Amy Pachula, Brent Rains, Chris Ernst, Heather Mosher, Michael Hughes, Jose Herrera, Joshua Cutchin, Kiki Dombrowski, Nathan Isaac, P.D. Newman, Stephen Snyder, a.k.a. Recluse, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Steve Stockton, and Ren Collier. Tickets available at StrangeRealitiesConference.com. It's going to be amazing. Welcome, everybody, to the final episode before we uh, go into the Strange Realities Conference, October 15th through 17th. And uh, we're going to be streaming live three times tonight. This is the first set of three. And I want to welcome three more presenters at the Strange Realities Conference coming up here in Nashville and online October 15th through 17th, as you can clearly see behind us. Um, We have Dr. Future. The great uh, Michael Bennett. Frozen in time. Frozen in time. Yes. And the great recluse. I don't know why. Also known as Steven Snyder. What's up, guys? How's it going? He hooked the camera up for us. You just get to see what it is. It's a rare thing that you get to see what the great recluse looks like. So The spider and his web. (laughs) You'll get to see me in Nashville, at least. That's right. Yeah. A lot of people will get to see you. And uh, the great, uh, also great. Nathan Isaac from the Royal Podcast. How's it going, Nathan? It's going great, man. Thank you guys for having me on tonight too, and and having me at the um, at the conference this year. So. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, if I'm not mistaken, I think at least all three of you guys will actually will will be there presenting, <laughs> and um, really looking forward to it. And everybody meeting each other. I mean, that's kind of like the best part of these conferences, not just the presentations, but also. Everybody gets to meet each other, put a name to a face or or to a voice. And uh, what we're going to do is what we've done uh, the last two Tuesdays, and we're going to talk about what you guys are going to be presenting. 
and we'll just kind of go from there. So I will start with uh, Dr. Future and what he is going to be presenting at Strange Realities Conference. Okay, well, uh, I think my tentative title right now is the Monroe Institute and the Reckless Voyage into the Mind. And I'm going to elaborate on a little bit of what I touched on on a Patreon episode at your show with some additional fictions I found uh, to some other things that maybe ties into the uh, uh, Collins elite and some of the concerns they had about openers based upon these recently declassified documents from the Department of Defense about their astral projection, which, which by the way, is how I plan to attend the conference. I don't know about the rest of you, but <laughs> I'll just have an astral image there. At the, at the conference. Are you going to use the gateway method uh, then? Well, I'm now two lobes are him synced as we speak right now. You can probably see it. Um, but uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the characters who are involved in it. Just a little cursory review i think i've only scratched the surface and i and i have to be honest that i've met some of the people affiliated with pantheon of guests who probably have more hands-on experience with this than i do but i'm not going to get into the nuts and bowl of that i'm going to really focus on uh what what are the implications of opening these doors and some little weird factoids about what some other people on the periphery have have played into it. I think at least Adam will enjoy some of the people that are, are going to play a part into it. We'll see if everybody else does, but uh, so that's it in a capsule. Excellent. We look forward to it. Is, is any of this, uh, is any of this stuff going to be like remotely uh, related to any of the books that you're working on? Is there any crossover to that? Not at all. Well, nothing for like the next 15, 20 years. Um, and, uh, it's a little bit of a detour from what I'm going on, but I didn't know if I was working on in my books right now or just published would be apropos for the normal themes of the conference. So I'm, I'm taking a, a path to try to get some of this material together. And because I do have an interest in it, even though it's not part of my book writing and I, and I do have a book series planned down the road called math find its way in there i'm sure hopefully there'll be some new revelations in the public by the time i get around to that so can okay. i can hey, i, I ask do you have a ha question for adam though. yeah While okay I'm go ahead yeah uh-oh sure what lay it on us sir Phil. oh i was just going to ask you the people want to know how many slides are you going to have this time because i think last time your slides were were uh quite uh epic did they complain? Provided too much information. Oh no, data? they were they were great. I went I went back and like it was like you know tons of tons of information. Really well done. But it, it was uh, you did have a whole lot. So I was just well, wondering I just if you have a whole lot. This I've got it down to about. I, I've cut them down this year to about 150 because I understand <laughs> I've only got an hour. So, <laughs> but I have had my auctioneer class. So I think my ear skills are so, yeah. So you'll probably have to do, uh, you know, by the way, that's sort of a hip thing. Cause now after all the young cats these days, uh, speed up everything that they watch or, and listen to. 
and their their podcast they play at triple speed or whatever. So maybe I'll sound normal that way. I don't know. Or maybe that way we can compress but, it into yeah, the time I'll, I'll frame. Probably keep it about eighty. We can compress it into the time right, frame, exactly. and then you can watch exactly. it at like half speed and get the and get the full thing. Yeah, I I, I really wonder why well, people do that. Well, if we if we do if I do go over, then we have to use the gateway process to go backwards to restart for the speaker. So all that's possible. Hey, Adam, I've got a question for you. Sure, what's the question? Okay. Yeah, I think known each other since about the spring of two uh, two and uh, around that time is when I had Ray Boucher on my show. Yeah. Yeah, I had him uh-huh. on my show talking about the uh, his stuff, and I have a document I've been trying to find. And in fact, I talked to him since then for this presentation. Before I knew that I hadn't been able to locate them, I had some slides from the government agency that he met with. That's covered in Final Events, Nick Redfern's book, and he actually sent me the the PowerPoint slides from the government agency, but. If they're missing from my records. I don't have an electronic form, and now I've gotten through my folders on it for them, and I wondered if I didn't put your possession those slides that actually came from the government presented to Ray Boucher. No, I don't, I w- I don't have those. I wouldn't have those. Okay. I don't know if he wants to I say thought it maybe I it up to you. Say what? I was just joking. Oh, I said, I don't, on the air. I don't okay. know if he wants to say it on the air. He's going to end up like Danny Casalero. He may end up in the bathtub, a red bathtub or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the way it goes. First your money. Then. I think we've got a little bit of a delay with uh, Dr. Future. Anyway. Looks so like. that's the gist of it. Um, but it'll have the requisite weirdness. Cool. I Sounds... assume the people that attack Facebook are attacking us. That's probably what's going on. Yeah, because yeah. you know, Strange Realities Conference is such a threat to the to the world. But we, maybe it should be. I don't know. Yeah, all this extremist content. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go over to uh, Nathan. Uh, Nathan, you told me the uh, title of your presentation, and uh, I'm just going to let you say what the title is and what it's going to be about. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so the title of my presentation is um, Decode the Encoded uh, from Mystical Cryptography to Cybernetic Divination. So, um, yeah, I'm going to do, it's going to be a presentation about uh, ritual devices that have been used um, cryptographically by secret societies uh, to unlock reality. That's kind of the the gist, you know? So it's like, you know, we talk about the, um, uh, Dayton, witch with downard and kind of, uh, go further back to, um, Ramon Lowell and his Lowland circles and, um, all of these devices that were used to sort of, uh, decode reality. And so then I, I kind of make the argument that instead of a holographic universe, it's a cryptographic universe. And, um, yeah, it gets kind of weird. <laughs> you know, cool, weird is good. You know, a lot of weird shit. So uh, 
um, yeah, it's been interesting um, researching it and really digging into this and like finding a lot of magical orders I didn't know existed, um, like weird German magical orders, um, you know, and then sort of kind of, you know, when I, when I started working on the project, I was kind of worried that, you know, people might be like, oh, there aren't devices like that, you know, but, you know, when you really get into the literature, there's tons of ritual magical devices and machines you know not just the cryptographic machines but you know you've got shit like the tepaphone you know that the uh, uh the brotherhood of saturn were using to to as a death ray you know and shit like that that <laughs> there's just a lot of a lot of weird stuff man you know i i got deep into trying to prove uh the whole downard shtick at palomar that connects to Adamski and the rays of, of Saturn that were coming down through the Palomar telescope um, and found a comic book from 1947 that actually is that situation where uh, a group of people are ritually performing this magical ritual on the Palomar telescope in 1947 using Saturn's rays and found the ritual that they were using in an old German book. It's really crazy, man. So, um, so anyway, some of that stuff's in there. Um, cool. Were they, like, uh, were they trying to draw something down or something to that effect, Nathan? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, there are all these offshoots of the brotherhood of Saturn, which was one of the most famous um, occult groups in Germany like pre-World War II. Um, and they're, you know, some people argue that they're responsible for the New Age movement in the world uh, was this group. So um, I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, they're, they're using the, the rays of Saturn through the telescope to, I think to, I don't know. They're worshiping something called uh, Ramahan. I'll have to pull the, the actual thing. But it is, an entity that they're attempting to um, communicate. Make, yeah. Contact with. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was like uh, somebody trying to induce possession or something. Yeah. Like that. It's Rahalon is what it is. R A H A L O N. Um, and it is an actual ritual uh, used by the brotherhood of Saturn um, in the 1920s um, to summon this, this being, but it's so weird that, that there's an actual 1947, comic book that has that situation so then you got to wonder if james shelby downard actually saw that you know and like did he blend that into his his whole mythos you know did grimstead see that you know when he was working in uh uh, san diego you know as a reporter so it's interesting you mentioned that because uh ren who's going to come on in the next segment uh talking about the whole um Darrow's and Taro's thing. Um, what is the guy's name? I'm drawing a Shaver. blank. Yeah, that uh, Shaver mystery. Yeah. The Shaver may have actually seen a 1930s serial. You know, one of the serials that was shown like before movies back in the day, and uh, can't remember the name of it either. But it was something uh, to the effect of like where cowboys find like this, you know, underground civilization. 
and all that. And like, it's very, there's some very similar like names to like Darrow's and Tarot's in the, in the, in the serial. And maybe somehow that got amalgamated into his mind and it gets, was spit out by him, you know, 20 or 20 or 10, 15 or 20 years later. Another nutter like Downard. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now so, I, th- so how, I think there was a ideas? Roy Rogers. Yeah, we do have a film expert here. I, th- I think there was a Roy Rogers serial. There was a Roy Rogers serial that had that kind of thing. And I, th- I think I may have it. I have to go see if I can find it. Okay, you've got an assignment. Yeah, I think that that's yeah. I think it was Roy Rogers. Yeah. And I remember that Ren told me, maybe in the next segment, I'll ask him what exactly that was. But, um, yeah, we're still getting a little bit of a lag from you, Dr. Future. What are, what, um, what are you using, like, uh, browser-wise? Camera. Huh? We'll figure it out. I, I uh, have speed internet with, with a hardwired connector, like I always use with you. Yeah, what, what which browser are you using? Oh well, uh, yeah, you can uh, continue, Chrome. Nathan. Okay, okay, yeah, Chrome was good. Yeah, but yeah, that sounds real, real fascinating, Nathan. Um, do you have cool um, photographs and schematics of some of these machines to show everybody? I do, man. I have, you know, obviously some of the stuff is is somewhat conjecture, you know, I guess that's the thing too, that when, when I started digging into it, you find out that, you know, the whole, it, there's a section in the Wikipedia article about uh, the history of cryptography, about writing about cryptography, because it's the science of keeping things hidden. Right. So it wasn't like people were writing books or making schematics of these devices because they were secret devices to mm-hmm you know, to, to encode and decode all this steganography stuff. So um, researchers of the history of steganography and, you know, cryptography have had a monumental, you know, monumentally difficult time finding literature pre-1950s, pre-World War II about uh, cryptography because it was so closely guarded. And know? the majority of that would probably be in those secret societies, yeah, and that's where a lot of this stuff comes from, and, and stuff from, oh, you know, Ramon Lowell was an early uh, uh, mystic, but also sort of an astronomer. Um, he was involved in some of the uh, development of uh, binary with uh, Leibniz, you know, sort of the 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 lineage, the genealogy of information theory, and so that's part of this too. I, I get into uh, talking about. Um, the argument that information is the basic building block of the universe, that it's not matter and energy, that both matter and energy reduce down one more level to um, information. Um, and there are a number of researchers on that. That gets into this whole concept of randomness uh, and divination and then randomness um, and cybernetics um, and uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's a pretty interesting um, look at um, how technology and magic and divination have sort of merged together. Well, they've never been separate, 
you know, I, I don't think they've ever been separate, you know. Um, so, and all kinds of strange automatons that were used. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, about that. Yeah, man. So, and, you know, think about, you know, the concept of like uh, the ghost in the machine. You know, the Greeks were using machines to, to elaborate their rituals. Um, and, you know, there's just a whole, there's a whole history of these ritual devices. And then you just, you sort of see that, that there were ritual devices that, that were used to decode. Um, and, you know, we could argue that, that, uh, you know, divination is, is also a decoder of reality. Um, and so, uh, and that involves randomness, you know, and sources of randomness. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun little talk. I think I've got some nice slides. <laughs> so, you know, there some, I, talk, uh, I talk about uh, Polybius, uh, the, the, you know, the game that supposedly existed in Seattle, you know, the, the urban legend, right. And get into the idea of um, the U S government using MK ultra to um, discover sort of how to decode reality um, using um cryptographic devices like the enigma machine right because when you start looking at the enigma machines like the uh the u.s version was called magic like they all had these crazy names that were sort of esoteric names and and then obviously downer in the dayton witch there's sort of this idea that 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 was uh, an, an early enigma machine um that uh ended up in the hands of Brunel University, which didn't exist in 1927, right? You know that it had the the tag on on that machine um, said property of Brunel University, which wasn't founded until 1966. And of course, you got Downard saying, "Oh, I get confused sometimes about dates," you know. So <laughs> just like uh, some of those lines, yeah. So anyway, I I just to me all that stuff's fascinating. So much of what we're researching right now involves um, information theory. Um, and channeling and sources of randomness. Um, and because there's a, there's a big overlay between uh, channeling entities uh, or intelligences, which might actually just be information structures, disincarnate information structures, right? Um, and so some of these devices facilitate that type of communication. And uh, yeah, man, it's just, it's, it's really fascinating to start looking at everything from that angle. You know, so we've got Sheila on YouTube who says that they can't get enough of Nathan. <laughs> Thank you. Who can? Uh, it's interesting you you bring up Ramon Lowell because uh, I just really recently just found out about Ramon Lowell because I'm watching those great courses. Uh, subscribe to that. Watching someone about the history of Spain and the, mm. the lady that's the professor on that. She just mentioned him on one of the lectures. So that's an interesting synchronicity. That was only a couple of days ago that oh, really that I was watching that. Yeah, man, that's a rabbit hole. Like once you start going down his whole concept of of the universe and and see he had based a lot of his research on an earlier um, uh, Arabic device called the Zarya, right? And so it also was a device that when you did these certain combinations of things. It would unlock the future, unlock reality, reveal, you know. Kind, reality. kind of sounds like the th kind of like sounds like the thing from Hellraiser a little bit. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, that's you wonder about some of these things. I mean, I, if you know, some of these horror movie guys, if Clive Barker 
you know, he researches this, this kind of stuff. Maybe he came across something like this, but um, that's definitely the sense that you get with these things. And definitely there was a heavy religious element, you know, with, with all of these devices, but I feel like that religious element was used to um, hide the sort of uh, uh, underlying esoteric nature of it, you know, to be like, yeah. Oh, really? We're just studying how to, pray better to God. Right. But, but actually it's a device to, to decode reality and mm-hmm. talk to, uh, you know, non-human intelligences. So I don't know, man. Sounds like know. yours to Dr. Future's presentations are going to be uh, kind of overlapping a bit. When, when he mentioned about the Collins elite stuff and then uh, yeah. the Monroe Institute, I was like, Oh no, what if he says, <laughs> what if he's doing the same thing completely? You know, but now I uh, think it's going to be, I think it'll, yeah. it'll match up perfectly, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I just want to know if there's any secret occult origins to Zoltar, the fortune teller. I saw someone post about that earlier this week. Oh, okay. There were pictures on Twitter. Uh, I mean, I definitely read about that in terms I, of I think what would be more. Uh, I, I think what would be more relevant is Dr. Stella Emanuel of America's frontline doctors. <laughs> Because she did point out a similar device that was used to bring in demons to overtake our children. I think it was Magic 8-Ball. So I don't know if yeah. you're covering that in your talk, Nathan, or not. It's an obscure, more, the most more obscure of a device. One was a device I may have to, to, up I may have to add a slide on that now. You got to get. You, you still got about a week and a half, Nathan. Do I think it's right? some okay. ancient occult order called Whammo. <laughs> I'm sure that stands for something, right? right. All right. Uh, let's get to Recluse. I, I'm very curious to hear what you're going to be uh, talking about because uh, last time we corresponded about this, you were, you were kind of cho- choose between two things. Yeah, no, I had, um, <clears throat> you know, when I was trying to come up with something uh, for this year's Strange Realities, it just uh, kind of seemed to me that the obvious choices were either extropians or Mormons. Um, so I, gave, I had to look up what an extropian was. I'm gonna yeah, I, I gave Adam the choice if he wanted an extropian uh, presentation or a Mormon one. I'm kind of thinking now, though, I really should have done the extropian one. Uh, I would have been able to get into a lot of stuff with cryptography and uh uh, cryptocurrencies, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Well, I'm interested in the Mormon one. What What is that going to be about? Well, that was also sort of problematic, like trying to figure it out, you know, because there was a lot of topics with the Mormons that you could get into. Um, you know, I've always been really fascinated with the connections to ufology and uh, some of the big people, you know, I mean, they've been involved in the disclosure movement and just in general, a lot of the research in recent years, funding for it, people like Joe Fermage, Brandon Fugel, uh, Harry Reid. So, I mean, that's a really interesting milieu and in the fact that, I mean, Mormonism is itself, I mean, kind of a an ancient astronaut religion in the first place. Uh, also, I mean, essentially kind of American form of Gnosticism. Um, you know, there's a lot of really interesting things with all of that. Um, 
So that was something that I had looked at for a while um, and then sort of getting into the broader history of Mormonism, the sort of uh, historical context, uh, which I'm really interested in. I mean, that kind of gets into some of the stuff that Nathan's alluding to as well with, um, you know, the attempts to channel uh, non-human intelligences. I mean, of course, Joseph Smith was really big into scrying and that uh, also leaves a lot of interesting uh, things about the early history of Mormonism and uh, how it came about and so forth. And, um, you know, there's also, I mean, the whole thing with the Mormon mafia and uh, the Howard Hughes stuff and all of that. Uh, I mean, I had delved into that a little bit uh, when I was working on my Epstein book like a couple of years ago. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's just a really fascinating topic. And yeah. then just the whole area with Salt Lake City, too. I mean, it's just nuts. I mean, you know, the... I just don't think people really get the significance that it has to the national security state in general. Uh, I mean, it effectively has, uh, you know, the, what is it, the main data center, I think now for, I mean, the NSA and a lot of these different institutions uh, and Provo, you know, you've got the one company that had worked with Cambridge Analytica. You've got that elite uh, special forces unit there, the 19th special forces group, which is uh, one of the two national guard uh, units for this, uh, you know, for the U S army special forces. And that's significant because the 20th, uh, which has detachments in uh, Kentucky, you know, this is a topic Nathan and I have talked about before, but I mean, that one appears to have been active in continuity of government operations. So there's a strong possibility that the 19th, based out of Draper, uh, you know, is also involved in this type of stuff, which is really fascinating. And then you've got Dugway, I mean, just all of the, you know, I mean, the major chemical biological weapons facility on the west uh, western part of the United States, really the only other major one besides Dietrich. Um, all this stuff is, I mean, in very close proximity to each other if you've been there, um, you know, and especially with like a helicopter ride or something like that. So it's just really interesting uh, in the broader context, I mean, of what would happen if, I mean, you did get to a, sort of an apocalyptic situation. Um, that whole area around Salt Lake City, I think, would probably come out pretty well. And it's got uh, more than enough facilities there from different institutions to help it along its journey. So, you know, that's another really crazy thing about all of this that uh, I had to look at. And then um, the connections to Ted Bundy is just sort of fascinating as well. I mean, a lot of people don't realize it, but he had joined the Mormon church uh, in the middle of the 1970s and had uh, spent some time in Salt Lake City. Uh, there's a lot of very strange deaths that are kind of related to that whole, you know, shenanigan there. So I looked at a lot of that different stuff. Um, but I was really fascinated by the whole concept of libertinism. So I decided that I was going to go with that, and that required a lot of stuff to unpack to explain. Okay. Well, as usual, it will be quite a labyrinth, and uh, be sure to entertain the attendees of Strange Realities. Well, here's open. I think it'll definitely be the darkest presentation by a wide margin. Hey, all right. So you're gonna we can always count on you for that, Recluse. Lebaronism. Lebaronism. I, I think you should also Give point me out something else to. Uh, I, I think you up. should also point out that Salt Lake City was the the home for Carnival of Souls. The movie oh, was really? filmed there at Salt Lake City. Really, that's fascinating. Very yeah. fitting place right, right there on the the Salt Lake. <laughs> I SLC can actually Punk see that too, now. Man. SLC Punk was filmed there. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that stuff is really fruitful right now, especially because there's this whole uh, ex-Mormon movement and a lot of scholarship that's really getting out there now. Um, just the whole project of trying to keep the history under wraps is totally failing uh, because of the internet and all these people, all these Mormons and ex-Mormons having access to all this information and scholarship. So it's it's if you're interested in it, it's a great time because all this stuff is really just getting laid out for the first time. Have you ever noticed when you when you research Mormonism, definitely when you're looking up like the Howard Hughes stuff and, you know, when we were researching the Katerma stuff, it overlapped with um, mm-hmm. Mormonism. And um, when you start researching that, you know, Wikipedia is all about, you know, it's sort of like a human uh, blockchain in a way. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, people are confirming, you know, deconfirming, confirming, like if you look at some entries, you know, one minute it says one thing and then it'll change. There are like some, some famous ones that kind of constantly move around. Anyway, so there's a lot of people that are always trying to confirm the veracity of every statement, right? But when you get into the Mormonism stuff, it actually has to notify you, right? That what you're reading, that you're in the Mormonism section, and the history you're reading is Mormon history and is trying to make you aware of the fact that, you know, it's only factual in the sense of this group, right? Like if you look up another religious page on Wikipedia, it doesn't say you're reading a page in the Christian section, right? And this, this is only true for Christians, but the Mormonism stuff is so fucking outlandish, right? That they actually have to tell you, this is all, you know, this is all bullshit. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's kind of crazy that they actually have that notification. You know, I mean, another thing too, is it's, I mean, another factor about Mormonism that I don't think really gets, you know, mentioned a lot, I think is the potential influence it had on the spread of the new age movement uh, or what eventually became of it. I mean, in the 20th century, because I mean, you know, it was so prevalent, I mean, especially in Utah. And then from there, I mean, spread into a lot of the other Western states. I mean, really the uh, Mormon militias who effectively conquered quite a few of them for us. Um, but I mean, when you look at all these areas there, I mean, you know, California and what have you, this is exactly where theosophy took root, uh, you know, about 50 or so years later when it started to come over and it just sort of gradually built from there. But I mean, I don't think that it's necessary coincidence that you do see so much overlap with a lot of these, you know, Western states uh, where Mormonism was prevalent in, and then like the later new age movement kind of growing up around there. Um, you know, just kind of think that whole sort of milieu. I mean, it's, uh, it's, you know, a lot of overlap. That was kind of something I just got into with Chris Knowles when we were discussing that on this Astronosis podcast that we did together. Um, But I mean, it is sort of fascinating. Uh, I don't know that we really kind of, uh, I think to some extent we take for granted, I mean, how much Mormonism has influenced a lot of these, you know, uh, kind of alternate or, you know, underground cultures in a way. Uh, I mean, it's also really very true with a lot of the, you know, far right, like militia culture and that type of thing as well, which is another thing that's really prevalent in Mormon history. Yeah, Crowley was really inspired, of course, by Joseph Smith, along with a lot of others. The American Muhammad, as they called him. And I've got to make a disclosure, everybody. I'm a direct descendant of Joseph Smith's sister. So <laughs> He's of the family of the prophet. <laughs> He's from kind of like the Shia branch, though. Of the- That's interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of his like his uh, immediate family didn't make it. Yes. yes. No, that's only the elders in Salt Lake City. I mean, if he was the uh, part of the Joseph Smith branch of the family that stayed in Illinois, I mean, he couldn't be a reptilian then. They only turn into the reptiles dock when they go underneath, like the tabernacle at the Great Temple. <laughs> oh okay. man, Branton we'll said that know. himself in the late 1980s. Man, well, I'm just basing that on uh, our our buddy Adam. What's his name? Uh, William Stoblin, the the guy who, yeah, yeah, William Stoblin. Yeah, if you're related to the core families then you get to go see your reptilian brothers underneath the Mormon tabernacle. Oh, okay. A lot of people don't realize that like uh, the uh, reptilian thing actually was associated with the Mormons until David Icke like appropriated it and put it to like all of the elites. But originally they were the only ones that had the designation and the honor of transforming into reptilian beings. So if you come to strange realities conference, you can uh, come see Serfiel transform into a reptilian right before your very eyes that's the after party part though that's not going to be streamed online yep only for our top patrons that's are right. you gonna bring out the masonic apron too man that's the well the temple underwear right <laughs> all right anyway uh <laughs> Mike, do you have any that to add to any of this? We've talked about some of this before, you and I. Yeah. I'll give it a second. I just came to these two far more competent gentlemen talking. Well, their their computer connections are definitely more competent, but <laughs> Yeah. Uh hey we do have a quick I what? think it's StreamYard. I don't know what the problem is. We'll figure it out. I think it's StreamYard. I don't know what the problem. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We we've never had this kind of, this this kind of problem. Uh, They're out to get you, Mike. Yeah, they are. Uh, we do have a question for Nathan and Sergio. You can see that a little better than I can. Um, question, if possible, to Nathan: Does he think quantum computing may, perchance, be used to further communication with these entities? I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what that's what some of this stuff is really getting into is is um, are these kind of like like proto quantum computing machines? You think? Um, maybe. I mean, I, I I don't know. Definitely, I think the quantum because quantum computing really delves into this idea of of sort of like the fuzziness of randomness, right? That things aren't necessarily, you know, what we perceive as, as randomness or true randomness is definitely an issue with, um, in cryptography, but definitely in, 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 in quantum, um, theories, but also you've got like quantum entanglement, you know, spooky action at a distance that it sort of tie these things together. So I, I do think that, that, that definitely when you start to read, um, What's his name? Uh, Vladko Varal um, has a book about it's his argument that um, that reality is basically information. And so he is a quantum theorist. And so he really takes you from the the history of early information theory 
all the way into quantum computing and and cryptography and sort of how to look at the nature of reality that way. So definitely, I mean, there's a, a heavy connection there. I think with what we're all um, researching right now, uh, or at least what, what, what Darian and I have been looking at um, in terms of randomness and channeling um, that, <laughs> that definitely things like Randonautica, right? That, that people are using that uses um, uh, quantum computers like in Australia, um, there's a, a college there that allows you to patch into their API, right? And so you're getting this sort of true randomness from a quantum computer. And and we've used that for sources of randomness to try to test out some of the, you know, whenever we do channeling experiments or have someone try to contact a disincarnate um, entity, we have a random number generator set up and the software that Darian has designed. And so it monitors the local randomness. And the theory is that whenever the randomness decreases, then you're having an effect on reality. So whenever we have people try to move things with their mind or, or do anything psychic, we, we, we try to test that out. So I think also people that are collecting big data um, and like random Nautica are seeing strange things like on the data side you know, and, and seeing weird entanglements and weird communications coming through. So, um, and I mean, look at Bitcoin too, and all of this, like the, the crazy way that that's, you know, connecting everybody together, you know, because I mean, arguably you could look at, at reality as, um, you know, sort of, a you know, we're all sort of confirming it as observed. Mm -hmm. It's a right? blockchain. Yeah, so it's like there is a blockchain nature um, to reality because of observational reality. So, um, but yeah, I do. I mean, definitely there's a connection here with the quantum mechanics and, and quantum computers and cryptography. And I think uh, channels of communication with intelligences. Again, I mean, for me, a lot of this stuff comes down to are people communicating with information structures, right, that are... Um, autonomous in a way, you know, because we know that there are algorithms that exist in the wild um, in the financial markets, right? They're not on any computer. They just, uh, they're pieces of code that exist on the networks that trade and they're doing things at such an incredibly fast rate that we as humans find it hard to detect them except for the patterns that they form when they do certain trades, you know, they have things like the knife, Right. So they know when they see that pattern that that algorithm is out there executing its code, affecting the market. Right. And so, I mean, it's just like ghosts, you know, or that, 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 that these disincarnate things are um, sort of like uh, algorithms in the wild, you know, um, ghosts in the machine. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that's some of the stuff we're looking at right now. Interesting stuff. Well, let's give the rundown, guys, of when y'all are going to be uh, appearing. And I'll kind of go in the order of when that's going to be. So, Nathan and Recluse, you guys are actually going to follow each other. Uh, Nathan, you will be speaking from 7 to 8 o'clock on Saturday evening, the 16th. That is uh, Central Time. So, for everybody that's all over the world that's going to be streaming this thing online, uh, you know, 
Look at your clocks accordingly. Figure it out. And then Recluse, you are going to be 8.10 to 9.10 Central Time on the same Saturday night, so you are following Nathan. Uh, and you're both the opening acts for Alan Greenfield, which I know is that's going to be, you know, oof. It's gonna be it's gonna, gonna have be rough to for you guys. Blow them off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on Sunday, uh, late morning, Doctor Future will be giving his presentation, ten twenty-five to eleven twenty-five a.m. That is uh, October seventeenth. I have uh, ten twenty-five. Actually, put ten twenty-five to eleven twenty-five p.m. So Doctor Future's presentations will be thirteen hours long. Uh, that will be the entire day on Sunday. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. I just noticed that I did a typo here. So, uh, but uh, so that is going to be then. So I want to thank you guys. Uh, we'll start with you, Doctor Future. Where people can find you if they want to, if you want to be found. If you're interested in knowing things about my published work, just go to MikeBennettBooks.com. And you can hear interviews I've done about uh, my current book out, uh, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, The Teaching of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees and Talk Radio and Cable News. Um, and I'm going to get cracking here right after this talk on start getting Volume 2 wrapped up. Um, if you want to catch my blog, I'll talk about more late-breaking stuff. It's twospiesreport.wordpress.com. And um, there's also even a Facebook page I got a friend that's doing called the Two Spies Report Facebook page. So those are a few places that you can check things out. MikeBennettBooks.com and TwoSpiesReport.wordpress.com. And thanks for uh, having me at the conference. It's a, it's a real head shed of some of the players. I'm pretty intimidated by the quality of the roster you've got here. So it's a privilege to be here. Yes, it is. It's something else. Um, and we're happy to have you, Dr. Future. Absolutely. And hopefully soon, Dr. Future will be returning to the podcast world. I'm hoping that's going to happen at some point. Fingers crossed. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, I hope so. And uh, Nathan, uh, where can people find you in the great Penny Royal podcast? Yeah, so uh, PennyRoyalPodcast.com. Um, uh, Penny Royal is on yeah, Apple Podcasts. Um, Spotify. I like how I think it looks great on Spotify. But uh, every you know, po- wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll be able to find us. So uh, definitely check out the podcast. And we've got um, our Patreon, uh, the Liminal Lodge, um, where a lot of the research that we're doing right now, a lot of these experiments and the software that we're developing um, is available to use and explore. Um, so yeah, check out the podcast definitely. Um, and uh yeah man and, and again I, I concur i'm I'm really excited to um come down and like well I'm really excited to meet everybody right i think that's going to be really fun um and yeah man we're just going to be able to geek out you know? when when does season two drop oh yeah that's important information probably <laughs> so uh it is officially going to uh drop uh january the 11th so it's 111 which is uh uh particularly important number in uh, Painter Royals. So I thought um, that that would be apropos, uh, you know, timing. So uh, yeah, January the 11th, uh, 2022, it'll all be, you know, the next 10 episodes are, will all drop that day. So. Okay. Excellent. And uh, Mr. Recluse, 
Where can people find the farm? Uh, you can find me at the uh, farmpodcast.com. So one word, the farmpodcast.com. And uh, there's also the blog that I've run for, gosh, I think it's actually 11 years now. Wow. Uh, visupview.blogspot.com that's uh, v-i-s-u-p-v-i-e-w.blogspot.com and i'm also the author of strange tales of the parapolitical post-war nazis mercenaries and other secret history as well as a special relationship trump epstein and the secret history of the anglo-american establishment both of which can be found on amazon I also got the Farms Patron, too, where you get uh, two bonus episodes per month. Uh, that's usually three to four hours of bonus material with exclusive guests and content as well. So uh, consider that. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I'm, I'm happy to have all three of you here this evening and also happy to have all three of you involved with Strange Realities Conference. Remember, guys, uh, strangerealitiesconference.com. Tickets are still on sale. We do have some available still for the in-person event. Just remember, we are checking vaccination cards or to see if you have a negative test for COVID and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So uh, we will uh, be back here in about 10 to 15 minutes uh, with another set of three speakers. So I want to thank everybody for joining us and we will be back soon. Thanks a lot. We're doing the final stream to advertise, promote, pimp, whatever you want to call it, the Strange Realities Conference coming up October 15th through the 17th in Nashville, Tennessee and online. And we are with two of the gentlemen that are going to start us off on Friday evening, the 15th. And that's Tim Banal and Aaron Gullius. Hey, hey. All right. And we were just on the Saucer Life not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Last week. Yeah. It was, it was quite an honor. It's only the second time I've ever had anybody on the show. So, well, besides, you know. Okay. It's like the fifth time. But um Aside from my rotating cast of, of, of usual, usual people. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, interview sort of style. So, yeah, yeah, perfectly uh, happy to do that. It's fun. Oh, yeah, the first one was the one you talked about Dark Skies? Yeah, there's a guy who yeah. wrote a book about Dark Skies, which, um, you know, one time when I, I wasn't thinking too clearly and at a low point in my life, I thought about doing. But, um, you know, this guy had done it. So it's like, you know, you, you whenever somebody writes a book that you're like, ah, oh, if somebody doesn't write a book about this, I'm going to have to. And, and then they write it so I, you don't have to. That, that's a great moment. So you want to you want to talk to them. And it's, it's an interesting topic and it fit right in to uh, to the show. And um, and he asked very politely, which nobody else who's ever asked for a book interview has ever done. Um, it's all cookie cutter. Um, yeah, this guy actually knew that I didn't do interviews, but asked, you know, very nicely. And I was like, well, you seem like a nice young man. I will allow you on my show. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's not yeah, like yeah the, so, yeah. It's not like the ones you got for the guy that was like the the harbinger of Matreya, which you would always get those ready. Yeah, for. yeah. Those? I, I'm, I'm not going to say um, – I'm not Daniel going to say his Sims? name. Daniel uh, Sims? <laughs> I'm not going to say the name of the person who would email me. Because, I will. He's he, nobody say his name because he's one of those people who, um, 
much like the representative of the one-armed man in in uh, Switzerland, you know, sort of um, sort of pops up and, and acts very um, litigious, despite the fact that he's just basically repping a flying saucer. So, um, yeah, yeah, not a big interview guy. The new show, the Great Lakes Lore show, we're doing. There, there's I've got a co-host, which is, um, or or she's got a co-host. It's I'm I'm, I'm happy to take as much of a back seat as my inability to shut up allows me but um yeah so that's that's interesting because um it's interesting playing nice with others sometimes like well, tell, tell us a little bit about that Aaron. so you've started a new whole new podcast now. yeah it's the uh, the second podcast and the cheese the the, the, the cheese media empire it's a spinoff kind of um and uh, and basically um samantha and i are both historians by training and occupation. I, I teach, and she's a museum director, public historian, archives type of person. And what we're basically doing is looking at weird history, paranormal stuff um, in the Great Lakes region, just to narrow it down and, and make it a little make it a little distinct. Um, we're sort of looking at that from the perspective of of historians how do historians do it how do historians look at primary sources and um and sort of get a story from that and how does that compare to um to, to what the, the the sort of popular image fringe may be uh so yeah that's uh that's what we're doing um and we've done uh two episodes so far one is about a a murder um a multiple murder out in um west michigan in samantha's hometown back in the 1920s and the second one uh, that came out yesterday is about the mad gasser of mattoon uh in <coughs> illinois so which is an interesting really interesting story and has had a lot of um a lot of nonsense grow up around it over the years and we try to cut through some of the nonsense it probably wasn't a man in black um Mr. Redfern. So, you know, because not everything's a man in black, Mr. Redfern. So it's, uh, it's, it's fun to sort of, you know, look at these things affectionately, but also, uh, also kind of critically kind of what, um, what I do in the saucer life, but with, you know, 97% fewer UFOs, which is never a bad thing. But that's a good, uh, 3% though. Yeah. Well, um, if I can, if I can talk Sam into it, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of angling for, for a couple a little bit of flying saucer stuff. Just a cool. Little. Are you going to try to to cover the uh, the swamp gas one in Michigan? See that would, that would be. A, I want to. I want to sort of weasel that one in there and um, mystery airships over Illinois back in the the eighteen nineties. So um, I think those would be fun. Uh, but uh, and there was a a weird um, sort of Thomas Mantell like deal over Lake Superior back in the 1950s where a plane disappeared chasing a UFO. So that's um, a much less known, it's like not too far from uh, Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, so that's a, a lesser known um, UFO airplane thing. What about like some of the ghost ship stuff from the Great Lakes? Yeah, we're going to do some ghost ship stuff. We're going to do some lake monster stuff. Um, you got to do Dogman there in uh in in michigan and wisconsin in the up we are uh, we are absolutely not going to do any lake michigan mothman stuff i've uh, i've put a moratorium on fake mothman nice. yeah. so um none of that hey if you want to have yourself a winged humanoid knock yourself out but don't call him mothman that's right my boy down in west virginia right so <laughs> uh, let, let a uh, let an ohio valley podcast worry about that 
that makes complete and total sense. Thank you. I know it's just, geography too. Just yes. call just call them winged humanoids. Winged yeah. humanoid. That's right. Thank you. Thank By you. the way, only one Mothman. Can we just establish there's only one Mothman? <laughs> there can only be one. Yes. Everything else is just a just a dollar store version. Uh, by the way, what's uh, whatever happened to Dark Skies? Dark Skies got canceled at the end of the first season. Um, actually, the order to cancel it came through partway through, and uh, it's, it's one of those things where NBC was kind of uh, kind of jerking it around on the scheduling. It was a Saturday night show, which is not like Saturday prime time is, is awful because it keeps getting preempted for every sport NBC shows on set. So I'm, I think at the time college football was really sort of messing up the dark skies scheduling. And so it could never really build the audience it needed. And, um, and so it got canceled and they compressed like five years of storyline development into the last half of the season, basically, which, which was weird, which was at that point that I stopped watching back in 97. Um, and you know, all respect to, uh, to Matthew Kressel who wrote the, uh, wrote the book about it. Um, I don't think it was a very good show. I, I think it it might have been in in a in a world where it came before the X Files. It might have been the X Files, but it came after the X Files, so it sort of looked like look at NBC trying to do the X Files. What a bunch of this is in like ninety six, ninety seven when X Files was like king. Mm-hmm. So you know you're not doing a paranormal show about like literally like young government people one of them kind of reddish blonde haired and the other dark haired i don't care if you said it in the 1960s it's not gonna fly it's gonna look like and i i i I believe like the the creators of it said well we we really weren't thinking about the x-files when we created it well maybe but nbc was thinking about the x-files when they put it on the schedule yeah Yeah. everybody watching home was too and every exactly so yeah are you sure that MG12 didn't get it canceled? Um, I do like the fact they had Art Bell as a member of MJ12. Or no, no, he was. Um, yeah, he was, he was on the show. Yeah, he was on yeah. the show. He was. He was um, William S. Pelly, the the head of CBS. That's who he played. Um, which which was fun. I mean, that's. I mean, and I think they they sort of implied that he was part of the Dark Cabal, you know, things like that. So. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, there were a lot of neat little touches in the show. I think when they tried to compress everything into the last part of the season, it kind of fell apart, but it did give us Jerry Ryan on national television for the first time, um, leading to seven of nine, which was the only interesting thing on Voyager in the whole seven years. And not for any sort of lascivious reason. It's just, <laughs> she wasn't a character who bored me to death like everybody else. Sorry guys, I'm going to turn I'm not going to turn this into our Star Trek thing like the last time I was on. So, um but uh but yeah, we should so, do a whole show on Star Trek and we, uh, Gene Ro- why why Aaron does not like Gene Roddenberry. Wow. Gosh, it would do um that's like the closest approximation to actually living with me. We, we could ha- have have my wife on <laughs> to talk a whole about podcast. Why, yeah, have my wife on to talk about why I don't like Gene Roddenberry. She's probably heard me yell about it enough. <laughs> it, it'll get heated i'm a delight uh, and also uh to to ask what uh what are you going to be presenting at strange realities yeah i'm going to be talking about saucer felons i've got uh, i've got a couple of guys um and i'm guys i say that deliberately um it, it, they're not just people they are they are you know male and uh they are not just ufo 
carnies. They're not just UFO shady people who might not be telling the truth about their alien encounters. They're people who actually were convicted of crimes in courts related to their UFO claims or how they used their UFO claims to defraud people out of money in financial swindles. One of the people um, is, um, is Reinhold Schmidt, who we did an episode about, um, gosh, probably a couple years ago now. And the other is, um, this is an exclusive, an exclusive um, scoop here. The other is named Bernie. Bernie, his last name is Bernie. And I first heard about him reading, um, reading uh, Go Rightly and Bishop's book, um, A is for Adamski. And Jack Brewer, in his new book, Wayward Sons, goes into, uh, goes into Bernie's um, past as well. He's got a lifelong sort of love affair with crime. So, um, and, and so like, like most, swind- as, as did Reinhold Schmidt. So like most swindlers, you know, most saucer swindlers, saucer swindlers. Oh, that would have been better than saucer felons. Dang it. Um, they, uh, they, they sort of just took their bag of, of grifter tricks and applied it to flying saucers rather than mm-hmm. be flying saucer people who decided to turn to a life of crime. Um, so we'll talk about those two. I'll, I'll probably mention uh, a few other people, but I was looking at, at the time and I was looking at the stories of Schmidt and Bernie and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to like go out and find a half dozen people and end up, you know, not being able to talk about like four of them. So, uh, we're going to concentrate on, uh, on those two characters and it, it should be, uh, it should be fun. Um, and, uh, and, and Friday's lineup is looking like a hell of a good time. So yeah, really looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah. We've got, uh, you on Aaron at seven thirty-five to eight thirty-five. Yeah. On Friday, the 15th. Um, and Tim, you are starting us off. I'm kicking it off, baby. You're kicking the whole thing off. That's right. 5, 515 to 615 on, uh, there's a lot of 15s here on October 15th. I like so, it. Tim, what are you going to be talking about? Oh, boy. Uh, well, it's evolving as I kind of delve into this. Um, I really, am, I'm, I'm kind of conjuring up like a whole fresh new set, if you will. I think of this as like stand-up comedy almost, where it's like, uh, you know, I've done the Flat Earth thing a million times now at different events, so it's like I need to come up with a new set. So originally, like when we had talked about this, about Strange Realities 2021, Nashville, uh, it was like, the idea was kind of like when prophecies succeed. And it was like this idea of like, um, what happens when a mystery is solved within these communities? and then that's that's kind of still the core of what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to probably spend most of my time talking about that. But I'm also going to kind of explore the idea of like, okay, because as I was thinking more about it, it was like, okay, like I can only really come up with two like giant mysteries that have been solved uh, off the top of my head that really kind of are applicable to what, I'm, what I want to get into, which is like the, the fallout in a way. Um, and then it was kind of like thinking to myself, like why – do like what like why are all these other things like so hard to solve and so i'm going to kind of also go into that a lot too where it's like okay what are these like db cooper amelia Earhart, and diatloff pass and it's like okay why why can't these be solved and what would it take to solve these mysteries um 
And the more I kind of thought about it, it was like, okay, some of these you can probably solve someday. Some of these were still within the realm of possibility. And others, like, I don't want to give up, like, too much of, like, what I'm going to be getting into. But, like, others, like D.B. Cooper, right? There was tons of forensic evidence in the D.B. Cooper case that they just threw away. Like, he was on the airplane smoking butts the whole time. And then the FBI came in and investigated it, like, swept up all the cigarettes and threw them in the trash. And it's like, look, dude, if we had those cigarette butts, we would have been, we would have solved this mystery by now. Like, we would know who D.B. Cooper is if we had those cigarette butts. And so it's that kind of, like... Uh, I'm going to kind of explore some of those things and sort of how um, it's really just super hard to like declare any of this stuff solved. Like earlier this year, there was this Dyatlov Pass case where they did like scientific models to show exactly how this avalanche. It's like it's pretty much an airtight explanation, but there's just no you cannot definitively ever really say with some of this stuff. So I'm going to kind of explore that and get into like, okay, what mysteries could we expect to see solved someday? And, and and what is probably, like, impossible to solve. Like, I think at this point, I, like the Jack the Ripper thing, it's like, there's no way everyone's gone on this long. There's no way everyone's going to be able to figure out exactly who it was. That one's going to last forever. Um, and I was talking to, we'll see how much I really want to get into it too much in, at the event, but I've been, like, obsessed with this Gabby Petito case. So I think I may get into that a little bit because it's kind of like, a rare instance where you can see a mystery from birth to wherever it is now, wherever it is when I'm going to get to Nashville. And it's like, I've been following this case really closely all along. And, and you can kind of see that this is taking on your classic sort of mystery where it's like, where now it's like, we know what happened to poor Gabby Petito. That's terrible. It's like, where's this guy that just, that just took off. We could spend the next 10, 15 years trying to find this dude. And it's going to be the same situation where people are going to have all these theories about where he is and what he did. And it's going to play out exactly like all these mysteries do. If they find this guy, then it's going to be like a rush to find out answers and everything like that. So I don't want to get too deeply into that, but that's kind of like that may be a part of the whole presentation. So it's kind of coming together. I've got a lot of ideas about just this sort of thing about like trying to solve mysteries and how difficult it really is. And then what happens with the rare instances when it does, um, when it does get solved, you know? So that's kind of where we're at. I'm going to really refine this and put it all together this weekend, but I have a pretty good idea of, um, you know, of, of, uh, of what I'll be getting into. And people I've talked to seem to like the idea a lot. So we'll see if, uh, if I can do it justice, but to me, it's like, I spent all my days working, looking at, at these, I like, I have like sort of a set, list of stuff that I go down every day when I'm looking for stories for coast to coast. So it's like, obviously UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, ghosts, haunted, that's mystery, mysteries. That's kind of like my main thing. But then you go into like the lower tier of stuff. And it's like every day I'm like D.B. Cooper, Amelia Earhart, D. Outloft Pass, Voynich Manuscript. Like what are the, you know, every, and I always, uh, Amber Room. That's another one that's like the Amber Room. Every year, uh, every year with these stories, you get at least one, story where someone thinks they figured it out someone thinks they've solved the mystery and it never really pans out so uh we'll, we'll get into some of that stuff too where it's like it's an annual occurrence uh, you could put money on it every year someone's going to come out and go i solved the voynich manuscript it's like why isn't this solved yet what is it going to take to solve the voynich manuscript how will we know that this is actually a close uh, an open and shut case so it's kind of you know i'm going to get into sort of these big tentpole mysteries um, 
and and sort of maybe explore like okay what it, what would it take to really say this is solved because I think a lot of them are like really difficult to to definitively uh, close the book on you know so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at I feel like that's a little bit vague but I think people can get kind of an idea where I'm going with it and it's uh you know I think it's going to be a lot of like sort of uh just based on my style, it's going to be really like freestyle sort of thing where, um, you know, I'll, I'll sort of just uh, throw a caution to the wind and I'm not going to have like a really point by point uh, like presentation. It's going to be more like, all right, in my notes, it's be like, yeah, off fast. Now talk about that. So that, that'll be kind of my my thing. So my, my main concern or the big stressor as I go into the weekend to put it all together is like, just time it out because I'm used to like my podcast where it's like, all right, I'm just going to talk for as long as I want and as long as the guests will stick around. So it's like, all right, that's my big thing. It's like, all right, I got to sit down and do an hour and actually time this thing out and see what I can keep and see what I can cut. Um, but that's, that's sort of the idea. The big mysteries, um, you know, can they be solved? Uh, if not, why not? Um, if so, how? Um and then what happens when these mysteries are solved? I think, I, I don't know. I think we talked about this last time I was wrong with you guys, but it's like, you don't want to be the guy that fucking shoots Bigfoot. I don't, I'm sorry, but it sounds cool or whatever, but you really don't because everything you've ever done in your life is, <laughs> is, is up for grabs. Like they will dig through your entire life. Not the media necessarily, but like people on Reddit. <laughs> like, like you, you are screwed, dude. You are so screwed. You're like, I just found all the property records for Adam Sane, the guy that shot Bigfoot. Look at this. Why was he living in Poughkeepsie in 1983? We need to know more about that. <laughs> like, no, you don't. So that's that's kind of my thing with uh, with that. And um, you know, you just yeah, you almost don't want to be that person because you're, you're just in the spotlight right away. And I think there's a thing too, with the internet that, um, there's like a joke about it. I don't have, you, you got me, Tim. I've got his head. But like, so, there's a joke about it. But like everybody, mystery who's like, solved, everybody. everybody who's like a hero on the internet within like two weeks becomes like vilified. Cause then they're like, Oh, we found, we found out, you know, we found out he did something horrible back like, you know, 20 years ago. And it's like, Oh shit. You know, so, yeah, I don't think you necessarily want to be the person that that takes down the Bigfoot, especially because, like, you're like, oh, this is awesome. I, I captured a Bigfoot. It's like, great, now that I can't leave my house because the media is camped out in front of my house. They want to talk to me 24-7. This is, this is crazy. This, well, is, this is wild, you know. So, so that kind of brings me to thinking about people that don't want a mystery solved or when a mystery is solved, they're still in denial about it. Yeah, that's what I'm going to get into that pretty deep in the presentation, especially with the Forest Fen treasure, because the reaction of the people to the Forest Fen treasure being found is like hilarious and sad at the same time. Like they are, it's turned into like, okay, we're not going to research the Forest Fen treasure now. We're going to research everything this guy who found the treasure has said so far. And there are like spreadsheets of every interview this guy ever did with like each little detail on each line where it's like, okay, then he said this, then he said that. And they study this and they look at it and they try to find inconsistencies and they say, Oh, well, you know, in this interview he did for Esquire, he said this, but then in the other interview he did six weeks later, he said it was Northwest, but prior he said it was just North. What do you think he's trying to say there? And it's like, these people like just give it up dude. the guy found the treasure, but, 
that's a there's a lot to say about that kind of that case because it's like he found the treasure and then no one knows where the fuck it is. Um, it's the most unsat. I think that's kind of the key to that I'm going to talk about is like for as much as you want to, you may want to know the answer. Like the answer is like fucking always wicked unsatisfying. It's super super unsatisfying. You're not going to get. You're not going to find out these people who are into this stuff. And I mean, I'm in all this stuff, so I'm not like crapping on most folks. But like the field who are really invested in this stuff, they some of them like really focus on these really really fine details. And it's like when the mystery gets solved, you don't find you don't you don't get an answer to th- this tiny aspect of the case that you yourself guy have spent six months to a year to six years studying. Like, uh, we're going to talk about, like, the uh, the Golden State Killer, uh, East Area Rapist. And in one instance, uh, police found, like, a handwritten, um, like, note. Uh, it was like a homework assignment. So that's what a lot of people were like, oh, it's a high school kid. It's a, it's a young kid, a college student or something. And I, I forget the name of it, but it was like, um, you know, it was like Love's Rapture. It was like some poem or some shit. And people, like, spent have spent like like years dissecting this poem. What does the poem mean? What's he trying to say? What do you think that what do you think the real message is in the Love's Rapture poem? And it's like, look, dude, they caught the guy, he pled guilty, he's in jail for life, he's not saying anything. You're never gonna know what the Love's Rapture poem means. You will never find out about it. So it's it's like, I guess in a way, it's almost a cautionary tale for people in the audience where it's like, try not to invest a whole lot of your life in like a tiny detail of a case. Cause even if it's solved, you're never going to find out what there's a good chance. You're not going to find out what, what your little pet Avenue was all about. People go down these rabbit holes and they get obsessed. Right. Right. Just some minor minutia. And that kind of reminds me a little bit of like the whole, what was it? The Yorkshire Ripper. Where like the guy that was yeah. like faking the entire thing, and he sent in this tape, and that sent them like completely <laughs> on the wrong path. And, yeah, I saw that you know, documentary. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Well, speaking of uh, speaking of this guy whose head I have mounted Big here book, yeah. uh, that I killed, uh, you uh, Tim got to uh, judge a Bigfoot calling contest in Whitehall, New York. Yeah. Yeah, my goal of becoming the paranormal Steve Harvey is starting to lose. <laughs> you need to work on a mustache. Oh, yeah, that'll be next. Once I talk about it, then I'll really know I made it. So, long story short, uh, the I was on the show last time. We talked about this. I went up to the, uh, they call it the Champlain Valley. I don't even know if that's really, but that's what they call it. It's a region of New York. It's the, it's the area of New York that's like... Lake Champlain is like in the middle, and then there's two, you know, New York and Vermont, and they're right on the line, um, and they're pretty much like the same um, region. Like you, once you, uh, you cross over back and forth, it's like the people are all pretty much the same. Um, it's sort of like this Vermontian um, culture, and uh, so I really fell in love with it up there because I love Vermont, and um, I love the trip to Ticonderoga. It was so surreal with the Star Trek museum and everything. Um, and they had told me at the time they were going to do this Bigfoot conference in Whitehall. And so I was like, well, all right, uh, well, I like it up here. So I'm going to come back up and check it out. Um, and the no shade on the, on the champ day, but the champ festival was like this kind of low key affair. It was like, maybe like 
couple hundred people. Um, and maybe like, I don't know, two dozen vendors, um, and like five or so experts and everything. So it was just kind of like a low key. It was nice. It was quaint. Um, I was kind of expecting that with this Whitehall thing, but when I at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Showed up in Whitehall. I was like, holy shit. So I drove up to Vermont, stayed in Vermont, um, about a half hour away from Whitehall in um, Rutland, Vermont. And then I, you know, took the day and drove over to Whitehall, which is the Bigfoot uh, capital of New York. Um, they have like Bigfoot's their official animal and stuff. So they've really embraced Bigfoot. Um, it's very Mothman festival-y kind of like Bigfoot's their thing. So uh, when I pulled down the road to where the thing is, I was like, holy shit. And uh, there was just cars like the whole street was like packed lined with cars on both sides. You had to park on like the lawn of like the Knights of Columbus or whatever. Like that was, they were like charging you like five bucks to park on the lawn there and stuff. It was that huge. And I'm like, holy shit, this is like really big. Um, so, you know, we park, we get out, we just get in there. And it's like, it, if the other event had like two dozen vendors, this had, this had to have, yeah, I don't even want to say, like maybe like 60 vendors at least, you know, it was huge. It was massive. It was absolutely massive. They said the, the last time they held the event, there was like 3000 people there. Um, and they thought it might've been around that this time. So like, this was enormous and it like stretched for like a quarter of a mile. And like one end was the vendors. And it was like, that was a huge, like a football field length thing of just tents and tents and tents of stuff. And then in the middle was this pavilion with all the experts they had brought into town. Like uh, uh, Paul Bartholomew was kind of my contact in Whitehall. Really sweet dude. Um, Alexander Petikoff, Kenny Irish, a few other folks. Um, and then and then, then a huge like just line of food trucks with like all kinds of carnival food and fair food. I think I posted pictures on uh, online of like I got a waffle stick. It had like banana cream pudding and whipped cream on it. Yeah, it was oh, amazing. Man. Oh yeah. man. And that was like one of like a dozen options. And I'm like, fuck, I wish I could just keep just like go back and just get like three or four more of these. Forget um, Bigfoot. Yeah, exactly. And then a beer <laughs> garden at the end. Get my ass a funnel cake, man. Yeah. <laughs> and like I went, I got there like at eleven o'clock and I'm like, uh, I knew I was gonna judge the thing, and I'm like, ah oh, man, I don't know. Uh I don't know if I can make it to like five o'clock. This is like, but then next thing I knew it was like, Oh shit, it's five o'clock. It was like that. It was that cool. It was just like so much to do. Um, 
just yeah, there was a guy running around with like a Muppet, like a Bigfoot Muppet. Like I saw post, it was really like weird. He was a a nice person, but a strange individual because I was I took his picture and I'm like, okay, because like what's your you know what's your name and stuff? Because I so I could credit him if I ran on coast coast. He's like, I oh, don't even worry about it. It's all good. I'm just, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a performer or whatever. And it was like, yeah, he, he was, he was a fugitive. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you don't go somewhere with a Muppet, not want to tell people like your name. Like what, that's what, what about the guy that was dressed up like a 19th century big game hunter? That was the steampunk yes. Bigfoot hunter. Yes. Yeah. He was cool as hell. He was really cool. Uh, yeah. He was like, he's a nurse by day or something like a medical technician by day. And, he had just this whole elaborate thing. I interviewed him on Facebook. He took him like months and months and months to put together this whole steampunk thing. And he goes to different events and things. And um, it's just it, that, like, that's the kind of thing. Like maybe someday down the line, if I could find the right hook, that would be like something interesting to do a presentation. I was like, what motivates these people like to do like, I don't know. I don't like the attention. So I wouldn't want to be like that. But I, I, there are people that really like that really like yeah. going around and being in costume and having people approach them and want to take their picture. And he stayed in character most of the time when people kind of when he, you know when it was the right time to be in character. Like when I talked to him, he was he went back to normal. Thank goodness. Um, it wasn't like that one of those cheesy things where it was like, all right, dude, I just want to ask you how you do this. He merely like dropped character and was like, yeah, it took me this long to make this and that. that. But then like you know people would walk by and he'd be like, I'm hunting Bigfoot. Hey, I'm from the year. Da, da, da. And I was just like, oh my God, dude, this guy's wild. Um, so yeah, it was just a whole scene. It was just a whole scene. It was really a lot of fun. Um, I really, Tim, you were, you were like fun. a cultural anthropologist. Yeah. You did it with the, the flat earthers. Now, uh, yeah. now it's time to embed yourself with the Bigfooters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. It was weird. It's funny. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but like there was people who were, experts like i said paul bartholomew kenny Iron, they had like their own little area at the thing and i know some of them but it's like i always feel weird like talking it's like because there's people who want to talk to them and tell them their story or find out about bigfoot and i'm just kind of like hanging out like the guy from work you know yeah. it's like honestly i don't want to shut up yeah so yeah a good event i'll be back next year it's uh it's the whitehall sasquatch festival and calling contest um and yeah, I was a judge for the uh, Sasquatch calling contest, which is pretty uh, weird and amazing. Um, the strangest part, I wrote about this for Coast to Coast. So, like, the, the lady who ran the event was very busy, obviously. This is a massive undertaking. And so, Paul Bartholomew had mentioned that they wanted him to be a judge a few years ago. And he was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. So, I was like, well, shit, if I'm going, I want to, it would be cool to do that. Just to say I did it. So I contacted him. He's like, yeah, they definitely could use you as a judge. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to judge now. But, like, I never heard from anyone who ran the event. So I'm just kind of, like, there hanging out. And finally found the lady who runs the event. And I'm like, am I a judge or not? Like, I never really – do you need me to do anything? Like, what time do I even have to show up at your at the calling contest? Yada, yada. So that's when they were like, oh, yeah, you're definitely the judge. You know, one of the five judges. Um the whole thing is run sight unseen. So you can't watch the Bigfoot callers. Um, so like, as uh, anyone who saw my pictures of the event and shit, there were like a few hundred people up there <laughs> to watch the contest. 
And like there was between the kids participating and the adults, there was like 60 people doing Sasquatch calls. But me and the other judges, we had to like stand on the stage and then turn our back to all of this and just like just listen to these Sasquatch calls, which sounds, I don't know, maybe that sounds easy to some people, but it is really fucking hard. Because <laughs> you're just, like, you can't distinguish, but like, you can't, you don't know necessarily what's going on. It's so disorienting. And you just hear like, and then you're like, okay, what was that? You know, and as you're kind of like thinking about it, all of a sudden you hear like, and you're like, what? Yeah, I had a whole scorecard and everything. Okay. But the did guy you, who ran did it. Anybody like, do any Sierra life. sounds? Did he get the Sierra sounds on there? I think the guy who won. <laughs> oh, no, no. I don't know if they did that one, but yeah, there was a guy who like kind of mimicked like actual Bigfoot. He ended up winning the whole thing. Um, but it was, yeah, but it was so disorienting. And you don't, you, you can't see, like I said, you can't see people coming and going from this day. So the guy running, first it was the kids, then the adults. So the guy running, the kids won. <laughs> he just went so fast. And we finally were like, dude, slow down. We can't, we can't keep up with these people it's doing their Bigfoot calls. So it was uh, it was an experience. It was really uh, unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. It was just so weird and just bizarre and like... After a while, they all start. They all start to sound the same. You're like, "Oh, all right. Well, that was okay. That was a, I guess, a medium shriek. Like that was kind of like, all right. I'll give you, a, I'll give you a five. I mean, I don't know. But then, like, there were a couple, like two or three or four, would like stand out. Where you're like, Jesus, is that was that a person? Like, what was that? And I'll, I'll tell you this story. This part, like the. It was it, it was almost controversial in a way. Like the late, there was the thing, the thing really came down to two people. Okay, uh, it came down to two people, and I didn't know this at the time because I couldn't see any of this. There was a woman, and she was like decked out in like a whole elaborate poison ivy costume, like the cartoon character. Like, um, like I think it was poison ivy, but it was like it was a costume. And she, her thing was like stomping around on the stage and then getting, I've seen the video now, so now I know more about what happened. So her thing was like she would get right, like right up on the, on the back of the judges and fucking scream. Like, like I could feel, I, like to, right now, still, I can like feel that, like that feeling of like someone right behind me fucking screaming. And it was like, it came down and it was just like, what the fuck? And we, it was five of us. We're all standing <laughs> in line. And we're all just kind of like, when it was over, we were just kind of like, oh, geez. I'm like, was she all right up on you? And they, and they were all like, yeah, I felt like she was like right there. And like we watched the video later. And she's like coming right up on the back of the judges, like screaming in our ears and shit. Um, so it really came down to like her and like a more normal Bigfoot guy. And it was like, really, we were kind of really on the fence. And it was like, nah, you know, she gets a lot of style points, but she was kind of playing to the judges. And it wasn't really quite a Bigfoot call. It was just more her screaming in our ears, like, like put away. So eventually the other guy won. She came in second. But it was, that was like the weirdest part uh, of that old run. Okay. You're well, a certified Bigfoot calling judge, Tim. Mm -hmm. So my question is, 
<laughs> Bigfoot's not real. Mm-hmm. So how what? do what? Possibly, possibly well, he's not a, real. He's a ghost and or fairy. We all know that. <laughs> so fey folk, yeah. How do you? Sorry, fey, he he's he's of the fey. I don't know. I'll I'll ask uh, I'll ask Cutchin when I see him um, <laughs> on what the proper terminology is, and then use the wrong one. But um, <laughs> how does one determine what? a Bigfoot call should sound like because we did a supernatural Bigfoot episode of Saucer Life. Sam and I went down to the the Michigan Bigfoot yes. conference in July and uh, my my the Saucer wife and I watched way too many episodes of Finding Bigfoot to sort of, you know, acclimatize me. Why, to, why, why did you do that to yourself, Aaron? Honestly. Because it was easier than re- doing the kind of research I do for a regular episode. You know, it's like, oh, 50 bucks to go to a Bigfoot conference. I'll do that. Um, and Sam knows all about Bigfoot. And I know, like, there's a thing called Bigfoot, but I don't know. So they, they got the guy Bobo on the show who always does these Bigfoot calls. And um, so on the episode of The Saucer Life, the Saucer Wife did a Bigfoot call at the beginning of it um, because she, <laughs> she she did not want to go to the conference because Bobo, the Bigfoot caller, was not going to be there. Somebody else from the show was. And she was like, I'm out. So, so we so, need to get Bobo at Trans Realities next year. Is that what Bobo, you're saying? Bobo's a trip. You you really should. He's um, a character, yeah. There's there's an old episode of Finding Bigfoot where the very flesh and blood Bigfoot team teams up with a group of supernatural Bigfoot hunters, including an impossibly young Greg and Dana Newkirk. Oh, wow. So it's it's really really fun. Um, it's a it's a really fun episode. But uh, Tim, at your Bigfoot conference, was there somebody a, a, a woman there selling Bigfoot field casting kits? Mm, maybe because there was at the Michigan one, and what jumped out to to me and Sam was that. There was a cardboard stand-up of her in front of her table where she was wearing a a skin-tight camouflage sort of bodysuit thing. Okay, no, that wasn't her then. And it was inappropriately snug and detail revealing in some places where it oughtn't have been and we sort of laughed as we walked by and then we realized oh god she's the one sitting at that table oh no and she heard us say something not very complimentary oh no i can't go back there guys um i'm by the way aaron i i did want to know if you at strange realities were going to let people choose what your presentation was going to be what's that mean the lady that was at your that was at uh, the oh! conference. That- <laughs> so at the <laughs> at the Bigfoot conference, one of the speakers, and I we we I got I got a uh, a comment on the website that we were we were horribly mean to this woman, and I was like, we were so nice compared to what we could have been. There was a speaker who <laughs> didn't. She was on the schedule, so she wasn't like a last minute replacement, and she. Asked the, uh, she said, Oh, I've got like 20 different presentations I can do. What do you guys want to hear? And she like ran through a bunch of topics, and the, the whole crowd voted for, um, 
I think like weird humanoids of the Great Lakes or like reptile. <laughs> humanoids. And she was like, okay. And so she's going through a flash drive and she can't find that. She can't. Oh, I don't have that slideshow. But what was the next choice? Next one. She doesn't have that. So then she does like something else. And we're like sitting here. like, so basically you're doing the talk that three quarters of us were excited to hear something other than. <laughs> It was. Oh my god, was, that's classic. That's like spinal. It, it was. It was one of those things where, um, you're you're just like, oh my gosh, this is. How do you even? How do you even walk in to? Oh my god, she's probably watching this. Um, or, <laughs> or, or oh, I don't, I don't care. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was just. I mean, as a speaker, I would like, if you're confident enough that. You can pick one of a dozen topics, or have somebody pick one of a dozen topics to speak on, and you feel confident enough to speak on that. You're wrong, and you shouldn't be that confident, and you probably suck because you're underprepared, and or you've done it a thousand times, and everybody knows you don't care. So, you know, it was it was it was a very mystery science theater three thousand sort of experience watching this presentation with my little silhouette robot head sort of not being able to say the comments I wanted to say <laughs> during this thing. But no, my topic was thought out literally six months ago and uh, will be immaculately prepared <laughs> because I'm a awesome. professional. <laughs> oh man. But thank you for that callback. That was, yes. Yes. Yeah. That was, that was my favorite part of that episode when you guys were talking about that. I was like, man, don't let me get somebody like that ever. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> speaking yeah. one of mine. Uh, so, uh, Tim, was there anything else that you wanted to say about the White Hall? No, no. I think Aaron was going to ask me what I look for in a proper Bigfoot call. So, yeah, I, that's that's pretty much it. Sort of like uh, length of of Yelp. Like, how, there was one little kid that went on for like two minutes somehow. It was like, how did he even do that? That's uh, some lungs. Yeah. So that and like loudness, that and sort of like believability. Like, could I believe that would be a Bigfoot, or is that just like a loud thing? So that was kind of my my main criteria. Um, but you know, they all they, like I said, it's not like a slam on the big like a Bigfoot call. They all kind of sound the same after you've heard like sixty of them. It's like, all right, you're you know. And there was Jack Brewer. I was talking about it with Jack Brewer in a group chat. We're in. Uh, he was like, was there anyone that was just like, here, Bigfoot, here, Bigfoot, and there was one person who did the joke. I think that, I think that's like a rule. Like one year, everybody, everybody, one person every year has to do the has to do the joke. So like one like lady came up and she was like, here, Bigfoot, come here, Bigfoot. Come I would have given them the win. Yeah, yeah. You did the whole like like you're calling a cat. Yeah, yeah. It was like all that. It was like all that. So it was like all right, points for you know, like one of the things was like creativity. Like all right, she gets a nine. For creativity, that was really good. It, it's like it's like cute little kids should win everything, right? You know, if, if like I was I, Star Trek reference, Star Trek Generations, the movie was premiering in 1994. Me and my roommate in college went, and there was a costume contest beforehand. Oh, wow. And you know, the winner by audience applause, you know, was the little five year old kid dressed as Captain Kirk. Because come on, and yeah. man, there was this like gentleman who was too old to be dressing up in a Star Trek uniform <laughs> public, who we had previously seen sort of 
unsuccessfully hitting on the Walden books clerk um, in his Star Trek uniform, who was clearly very angry that this little boy whose uniform was not correct won. And um, it was the it was the second greatest thing I've ever seen besides um, that episode of Finding Bigfoot where Bobo did the one call that was pretty successful. Well, was he dressed up like a Cardassian or something? No, he was dressed up in like a Next Generation uniform. And come on. I mean, I'm a Next Generation guy, but you're not going to beat Captain Kirk. You're just not. Well, two two, two things. First, I, I credited Aaron. I really did mean this. The Aaron um, and your buddy, your friend there, who went, you, when you guys went to that thing, the Bigfoot thing, that really did inspire me. Oh, wow. Good. When I saw you guys went to that. It was like maybe a month before I went to the Lake Champlain event. And I said to myself, I'm like, that's really fucking cool. I'm like, is there any, I'm like, there's gotta be like an event around here that I can drive to like a conference around here that I can go to and check out like what, what they did. Cause that's, you know, there are events locally. And that's when I found the Lake Champlain thing. So that kind of led me to even yeah, to the big cool. calling contest, but that was cool. totally like I know I said, like inspired by. It. I think he thought I was giving you shit or whatever, but <laughs> that was genuinely true. It was well, thank like, you, thank you. When I saw you guys went there, I'm like, that is so cool. I want to go to one of these things and, and check it out. So, uh, and the other thing is, they're expanding the original Star Trek set museum I to now include also the whole. They have a whole warehouse that they haven't like that they're working in right now. That's going to have all the sets for next generation. Yes. So when they open that up, it might be like another year or two from now. But when they do, we got to organize something. When, we'll do like an impromptu hangout. Like we'll get is, Jason off at you. It is such we'll an go easy, to Ticonderoga. And we'll it is such an easy drive to Ticonderoga for me if I'm allowed into Canada. Um, <laughs> once, well, it's not in Canada. Why once, do you have to cross over or something? It, it's so much faster to go through Canada from where I am because I'm like a straight shot two hours from the border and it's just like straight right. across. Yeah, but. The United States just needs to take that over. Like we need to just Um well we 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 we, <laughs> we tried. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't go you, well. You, you can thank William Henry Harrison or whoever for that. Hey, right? hey as a native Hoosier I will not hear a word against um William Henry Harrison. <laughs> Although Tecumseh was pretty cool too. So well, I mean, you know, the only president that caught a cold and then died a month later. I mean, you know, that's 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 a distinction. There you go. When they open the when they open when they have the grand unveiling, we don't want to go that weekend because no. you don't even want to know who's going to be there that weekend. It's going to be people <laughs> like me. I don't want to see well, them. You know what's funny is the the weekend I was there for the Bigfoot calling contest just happened to be Trek days. In Ticonderoga, and uh, George Takai was there. And I saw that, yeah. All yeah. kinds of people, it, they like, and it was so weird, because when I went, it was like there was no one there. It was just like a ghost town, and it was like it was like me <laughs> on the tour by myself with two with two young ladies who like were super Star Trek fans, to, who were the like tour guides. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm watching it on the, weirdly enough, I get back to the hotel from the Big McCauley Con to turn on the news, local news, and they're like, Everyone was flocking to Ticonderoga today for Trek days. And I'm like, what the fuck? This is so bizarre. And you dodged and, a damn bullet there. You don't, you don't yeah, I know. Do. I know. And they, and, and it was like uh, just this packed. The place was like packed. The Not, Star good. Trek Not good. So, yeah. But when they, when they launch the next generation, we'll wait like a few weeks or months or whatever. Gotta well, go. I would definitely do an excursion back go. there. Field trip. So much fun. That's right. Field trip. All right, guys, this has been really cool. Thank you for doing this. Tonight. No problem. And thank you yeah, for being a part of the uh, 
being a part of this and part of Strange Realities Conference 2021 uh, coming up October 15th through the 17th. Uh, Tim, let's start with you. Tell people where they can find you and uh, all the awesome stuff that you do. Uh, mostly nowadays, Coast to Coast AM. I've really been lazy this year for podcasting. So uh, Coast2TO, CoastAM.com. That's where I write, obviously, for uh, the mothership, Coast to Coast AM. And if I can ever stop being lazy... We'll get the podcast up and running again. I got a ton of people I want to talk to and stuff. It's just, I think I've talked about this on the show before, where it's like, you just got to get the ball rolling and, and book like a couple of people. And then once you get like the first couple of weeks booked, then it's like, all right, now I can start plugging people in. But right now I'm just like, I'm like super lazy. And uh, I think once I, once I wrap up the Strange Realities Conference, then maybe the holiday season I'll start kind of like booking guests and doing shows and, We'll see where it goes from there. But yeah, that's been all of America. Plenty of old shows to check it out if you want that. So I got a question here that's a, that's asking about uh, whether we'll put this up as a video podcast. We're actually going to put this up as an audio. We'll put this up as an audio podcast on the main feed. Oh, yeah. So that's, yeah that will okay. be on Spotify. But that's all right. three of these segments will be put together as Great. one episode. And we are the Conspiranormal Podcast. You should check us out if you're new to us. Welcome. Uh, and Aaron, what's uh, uh, where can people find Saucer Life and find uh, your your books and all that? Yeah, um, you can go to saucerlife.com and find all the episodes of the Saucer Life and all the links to uh, all the and and we're Saucer Life on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of that, and then greatlakeslore.com. Um, you can find all that and Great Lakes Lore on Twitter, Instagram, and Saucer Life. So the whole uh, the whole empire is is out there. Excellent. Yes. Well, we look forward to seeing you guys uh, in the flesh. In the yeah, flesh. Can't wait. Yeah, can't next wait. time we're all hanging out and chatting, we'll all be uh, in the same room. It'll be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, guys, it's going to be wait. awesome. Thank you I so can't much. wait to get to Nashville, man. It's uh, yeah, man. yeah. Haven't been there in years, man. What's that? That's awesome. Uh, haven't been there in years, so yeah. looking forward to it. And it's and, a certain, and, like, uh, I, think, I think everybody kind of can kind of empathize, too, where it's just like, I've been cooped up for like a year and a half. Like I've done these regional trips, which are awesome and fun. And it's nice to like go to a small town like Ticonderoga and stay for the weekend or a small town like Rutland. But like, we're going to fucking Nashville, baby. This is going to be awesome. Music City. Broadway is calling. Is there a field trip to the Flying Saucer? Yeah, we can go to the Flying Saucer. We got to go to the Flying Saucer. (laughs) Not too far at all. I've been to the one in Nashville. I've been to the one in Memphis. So, uh. I'm totally down. Looking to get back. So, uh, yeah, but all we're gonna uh, whenever that when the conference is over, I'm taking you up to Adams. We'll go to the now. The cave is closed. I heard Heather Mosher told us last week. Oh no! Well, but, we'll look into uh, it. We'll figure out something. But there's other things to see up there, so that yeah. are of interest. So we'll figure it out. All right. Uh, thank all you right. guys, Thanks, guys, and and uh, we will. Uh, For the people on the audio, uh, we will be back to close out the show. But uh, thank you all for listening tonight. And remember, strangerealitiesconference.com. You can get tickets over there. That is uh, $70 for in-person if you would like to show up at uh, SIR Nashville. And third, but uh, $30. And what we're really pushing is the $30 online tickets for everybody to come view the conference and see these guys either at SIR Nashville or from 
or in their own homes uh, giving these presentations. So that's it, guys, and we will talk to you soon. All right. Looking forward to it. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. We're back, everybody, and uh, we've so got another Raya set of three speakers. around, and since the breeze is flying, Soraya, folks, we're up there dying. Soraya, Soraya, they call the wind Soraya. Thank, thank you, Alan. I, I really appreciate. Well, that. Soraya, you're never going to get an introduction like that again. Yeah, and, and you're, you you got ser- you got serenaded, Mister Askath. You're going to have to do that at the conference before he goes on. Yeah. Uh, well, we we've, we've got some interesting ideas as to what we're going to do there. Like, I think I will. And Alan's muted again. So, welcome everybody to use it odd times. Welcome everybody to uh, the Conspiranormal Strange Realities previews uh, shows, and we've got three more people here that uh, are going to be presenting at the conference. We've got Alan Greenfield, who you know, if you don't know who Alan Greenfield is, I feel sorry for you, and uh, Ren Collier, and also Soraya, who you can't see, but he is. Uh, he is there. We promise. I, I am the disembodied voice of the conversation. Yeah, you're the disembodied voice of the conversation. So basically, what we're going to do with this, guys, is we are going to talk about what y'all are going to be presenting at the conference and uh, what we are going to be doing with you guys at the conference. And this is just a way to kind of get to get people interested and in, in streaming. So I want to start with Rin. What are you going to be talking about in Strange Realities? Oh, boy. When I was doing my presentation last year, if people caught that, about uh, catabasis and underworld narratives and sort of Orphic mysteries, um, I stumbled across a strange element when I was comparing the subterranean fiction of the 1800s to um, modern narratives of deep underground military bases and Dulcy base under Archer Litamesa and um, you know, firefights with Darrow and tunnels under Cerulea Gorge and that sort of thing. And I started to realize that a lot of these stories obviously had origins within the intelligence community. And it has been a question I have been trying to answer for myself over a year now. Like, why, why those stories? Why were those stories disseminated out into the public consciousness? And it was it because myths have a certain power to shape reality and to shape culture. And were there being modern myths created in order to drive culture and society in particular directions? And that branches sorry, I'm getting the bad echo. And um, okay, so there's, I wanted to answer this question, like why, why these myths and what purpose would there be to uh, 
making a whole generation of conspiracy theorists think that the underground was filled with, with aliens and robots. And part of my presentation is about that. Part of it is about myth as narrative and the magic of creating myth and how ultimately the line between the imaginary and fiction and reality is a lot more porous than I think people realize. And uh, it's like kind of that combined with the idea from the invisibles that everything is true. Like all conspiracy theories are true. Uh, every piece of fiction is true uh, because there's no necessary clear distinction between fiction and reality um, at a certain level when you get to the level of the American. And part of that presentation is going to be going into like my own personal cosmology, like stories about uh, Ingo Swan remote viewing the moon and Joe McMonagle remote viewing Mars and the possible like solar civilization that existed pre-humanity and what happened to it and all that kind of thing. But using that to tie into a narrative that like in order to inoculate ourselves from the mimetic parasites that are being foisted upon us by powers that want to manipulate and control us, it's important for us to create our own fictions and to create our own narratives that inoculate us against those basically idea parasites and how it, it's a bit of like a Robert Anton Wilson kind of thing, right? Like you, by being a true magician, you're able to create your own reality, but not only create your own reality, but destroy your own reality as well and shift your reality and, you know, pick and choose what realities you want on any given day and how important that is going to be for people moving forward. That's pretty fascinating. Definitely like that idea of the mimetic warfare that's coming. Um, you know, we definitely noticed that with people like us who've been into this shit for a while. Mm -hmm. That, uh, you know, when you see waves of this after, you know, successive decades, uh, you are kind of inoculated and you can see through a lot of the bullshit. Whereas if you're real fresh and greenhorned uh, a lot of times you can get caught up in it really easy yeah it was really fascinating to me recently my sort of eyes were opened um by a number of threads by a twitter user crypto cuttlefish that i think has gone missing or is maybe dead or has left this world but um there were all kinds of threads that he had written about the history of like 4chan and sort of alternative internet community and how closely tied in intelligence communities were with those early sort of internet communities. And it got me thinking about the, the it's, it's strange because there's almost two generations of people. Like I remember the old internet, right? Like the internet before major corporations, social media where, the internet was broken up into a series. It was like an archipelago of forums, right? And like small groups of people uh, that may only be like, you know, a hundred or 200 big. And you had big forums, like something awful, right? That had thousands of members. But for the most part, the internet was a series of these little islands, little communities that were all built usually around a single, uh, 
niche interest or topic, but you'd form like personal relationships with people within that forum. Um, and how I can't help but feel like the, the coalescing of all of these disparate internet forums into single monolithic entities, like monolithic social men- media entities like Twitter and Facebook and stuff, isn't like by design. Right, because it's much easier to control information flows and narratives when you have like a centralized place to disseminate those to all these users, right? Impos- it's impossible to disseminate memes to all of these individual walled garden communities that existed all over the internet prior to major social media. And when you look into the, like, the, the people who were involved in some of those early monolithic sites like um like 4chan you start to understand like this is all by design and there's like an element of trauma-based mind control stuff that i've like been dipping my toes into regarding this especially with early internet like shock sites like rotten.com and stuff like that it's like it back. yeah yeah it's like almost like you have an entire generation of people who were like exposed to a lot of really horrible stuff on the internet at a pretty young age. And given what we know about trauma-based mind control programs, it, I don't know, it gets my spidey sense tingling. Like how, how much of that was by design, you know, how much, how much of it was by design that a whole generation of young men were desensitized to scenes of extreme violence and warfare through live leak rotten.com and other like internet sites. And was that on purpose? That's a little bit outside of desensitization. Yeah. Yeah. I'll spit it out eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of out of the scope of like what I'm going to be doing for my presentation, but that's sort of, that's the wavelength I've been on recently. Gotcha. That sounds really interesting. Ren, uh, it will, Hopefully it will uh, be as mind blowing as your presentation <laughs> last year, which is one of the highlights of the entire conference, I think. Uh, so you've got big pressure to live up to that, <laughs> but it sounds like it'll have elements of that and um, be really intense and uh, timely. So we're going to. Yeah. Rin's, Rin's present. I add to that. Rin's presentation was one of the best last year for sure. I mean, it was pretty, pretty powerful. Uh at least the last like maybe five minutes of it were a really profound statement. I thought I didn't know that you were going to get going to go there, but uh, it was very interesting. So I'm yeah. interested in hearing this one as well. Yeah. Hopefully this it'll be a sequel. Yeah. It's kind of the sequel to it. Um, you know, like uh, thank you guys for saying that. That really means a lot to me that you guys enjoyed that presentation so much. I put a lot of work into it. So this presentation is a little less research heavy. A lot of it is sort of just, I don't know. I don't want to say pontification, but just kind of elaborating upon some of the stuff that I was kind of getting into with my presentation last year, at least on like a theoretical level. It's less, less uh, PowerPoints and more me kind of just, I don't know, uh, kind of going with some of those ideas and running with them. Being your paranoid self that we love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You guys get to see what uh, two years of isolation because of <laughs> right. it's done to my brain. Right. I, th- I think that's I think that's perfect. There's there, there's so much that we could dig deep in on that. We need to probably 
do a show at some point with you of just how much of the stuff that you've been, you know, researching and all this type of thing. Um, certainly it looks like we're going to, we're going to allow you, you other guys to speak now. We're sorry, but, uh, the audio, you're in an airplane (laughs) and Soraya's is like feedback. And, uh, and that was the secret of eternal life, but (laughs) the final secret of the Illuminati. We missed it. I I must've slipped something into Rin's coffee some years ago. (laughs) He's too much on the same page with me. <laughs> that that cannot be because I'm on the Alan fucking Greenfield Jewish Bishop page. Actually, T. Alan Greenfield's sage sometimes comments on MeWe. If ever there was a plant, that's a Q plant. But hey, Facebook kicked me off. Oh, and in today's news, Facebook is royally screwed by the government. Now, how does that work? However, let me say something about Rin's ideas there. The, the major difference I have is I take very seriously the earlier reports. And, you know, uh, Valet, uh, independently of me, has been on the same track since Passport to Magonia, which is you go back to the... Uh, 1960s and look backwards rather than forwards, which is an interesting take on things in and of itself, you'll find cases of this sort, although culturally defined according to the time that they occurred in, uh, uh, that go back to primordial times, fill in the blank. You know, there's some evidence that some of the Lascaux cave paintings are of uh, alien visitors, not ancient aliens, but something that is persistent uh, throughout history. One of my breakthrough experiences was um, Ralph Lale at Brown, across from Brown Mountain, North Carolina, uh, the, uh, a place that has a lot of strange stuff going on uh, that sort of validates his utterly screwy story of being taken into uh, Brown Mountain by these creatures and then taken to the survivors of the uh, lost planet uh, Piwam, all of whom uh, didn't believe in clothing and they migrated to Venus. Well, I went over the story over and over with Lael and without Lael and then I suddenly realized, where have I heard this story before? wait a minute, how come Wagner is playing in my head? Uh, maybe because it's so similar to one of the uh, early medieval mind singer legends of the Venusberg and uh, uh, Parsifal going into the Venusberg uh, and meeting the goddess Venus. Uh, and uh, basically it's the same story. But Ralph Lale, whether he was a moonshiner, as the man in black told me or not, nevertheless uh, was not a particularly well-educated person. He was a good old boy from the backwoods of North Carolina, and he never heard of Wagner or Lohengrin or Parsifal or any of that stuff. And yet he was 
basically his story in quote space age dress was the same story as that uh, medieval thing so maybe there are nefarious agencies that have taken advantage of this perennial phenomena and use it which is what I think Rin actually thinks I mean he doesn't think that this started with the US government because there was no US or government for that matter in primordial times let alone you know more recently so um, I strongly suspect that this is just yet another chapter in a very very long story and the few of us that have looked at earlier cases through that lens um, are, are pretty well convinced that this is uh, something that is as attached to the world that we live in, the earth, uh, the three-dimensional earth, uh, 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 from the very beginning, maybe maybe even preceding us, you know, that's... Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely right there with you, Alan, and that I don't think that it originates with the, the U.S. government or intelligence agencies or anything. What I, what I think is, like you gave the example there of this moonshiner who had this experience that was identical to a, a Wagner opera, is that, like, that story that Wagner based that on, um, my point is that it exists in a sort of uh, state of reality, like, all stories are real in the sense that they're like, they exist in the imagination and multiple people may stumble upon those stories and repeat them to other people throughout history. Like Wagner stumbled upon that story, right? And then so did this, this moonshiner, right? And they both lived that experience. Um, and I think part of the point of my presentation is going to be about how you can recognize that these myths and legends that have existed since the beginning of time that have a reality and a, in the imaginal like world that um, we probably don't realize, how that technology, the, the technology of myth-making uh, the technology of the magus, right? Because the point of the magus is to speak his word and that word be made flesh, be made reality, right? That technology has been co-opted by people who want to keep us in a cage because they realize that the most important thing in the world, the, the most important thing to control is the human mind and the way you control the human mind is through its dreams and its myths and its legends, because that's how you, that's how you mold and shape a society. I mean, you can see this on a very basic level with Homer, right? That the, the, the poems, the epic poems of Homer shaped an entire culture of people. It shaped Greek culture for thousands of years. And I think that in the 1960s and 70s, when intelligence agencies were looking into the technologies of magic, they were looking into the technologies of mind control. I think that's what they stumbled upon, that, oh, holy crap, if we really want, instead of dosing individual people with LSD, right, like this is so much more than that, we can control an entire culture 
by inject by strategically injecting narrative memes into that culture. And it's even more effective if those memes harken back to existing archetypal legends, like the legend of the descent into the underworld, right? Something that has been with us since probably man existed. How can we co-op that Orphic mystery and push it into society and use it to guide society, almost like an invisible hand. And one of the major points of my presentation is going to be how we as a people, especially if you consider yourself a magician, if you consider yourself a free person who values your freedom, understand like when those narratives are being pushed upon you and understand how to create your own reality, like become your own magus, right? Speak your own word create your own reality and not have a reality injected into you like virally. I want to get Soraya's thoughts on some of this. The, the disembodied voice. <laughs> you may speak. Yeah. So I, ha I had my microphone off. So the, uh, the feedback was not coming from me. No, it's, no, it's not, not coming, coming from, from you. you. Yeah. It sounds good. So, um, I, I was really confused because you were saying it was still coming from me and my mic was completely off. My thoughts on all this. That's a lot to, to, to give thoughts on. There's so much stuff that I'm curious about. <laughs> what was your, your presentation last year on? Uh, it was on um, subterranean mythology, like uh, stories of descents into the underworld and how that has evolved from prehistory into the subterranean fiction of the 1800s and then later into... Yeah. Myths about deep underground military bases and conspiracy culture in the 90s. Yeah. By the way, Ren, what was the uh, Roy Rogers serial that you uh, mentioned? Oh, about it the, first the Phantom story. Empire. Phantom right. Empire. That's sort of guy named um, like Frankie Darrow or something. And it was about an, un it was like, it was basically an adaptation of Rill or the coming race. Like, gotcha. Yep. So, so that, that also leads into the idea of, uh, the, you know, uh, people meeting fairies, so on and so forth, and underground treasure and such. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, I think it's a really interesting topic. I don't really have a lot of thoughts about it. I mean, these two just covered it really well. <laughs> so, brings me to you, Soraya. What is going to be your presentation at Strange Realities Conference? The, 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 the fact that you think I know is, is kind of amusing. <laughs> I think you do know. But, I have some, but maybe I have, you don't know consciously at this moment. I have some possibilities. It's probably, it's probably going to be connected to the the way that this stuff works like a web, where it seems like it's the same thing sometimes, but it's not, and other things that don't seem like they're the same thing are, uh, as well as um, like shamanic views on this. There's there's some stuff on. Um, on trauma, actually, that that might be a part of it, and yeah, so I'm I'm kind of putting it together in my head. I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go yet. That sounds a little bit like it sounds like yours and Ren's will kind of pollinate each other a little bit, especially with the trauma aspect. Right, right, yeah, a little bit. It, it's very the the approach I'm taking to trauma is very different, but right. uh, it, it's not. A, a uh, it's not the type of thing where it's like, oh, it's either this or that. It's both of those things. Yeah, I like that, Sarai. I think that's going to be. I think if that's the one that you do, I think that that one that one will be very, uh, 
very interesting. It's it's, it's going to go all over the place, and I'm going to try and condense it down so it makes sense. So last year's the one that you did was more about the about time and yeah, kind of like the ripple effect and yep. the idea that you, an event causes the ripples and you can either go back or forth and how that uh, affects the paranormal. Right, how like a banshee could be caused by someone picking up a future event. And then having sort of poltergeist phenomena associating it because they're not they're not picking it up consciously, so it it goes out as a poltergeist event, which then becomes a banshee, and they say, "Oh, somebody's going to die," and it's it's sort of an indirect communication from the future at that point, mm-hmm. where that person has already died, right in the future, but yeah. yeah. And those those emotional impact emotional impact from the future can actually travel back in time, which is supported by Psy research in the lab. Yeah, you had was it Eric Wargo. Yeah, doesn't he talk about that? Right. Yeah, Eric. Yeah, Eric I, I don't agree with Eric on everything, but Eric has some really interesting stuff. Yeah, no doubt. You know, he he thinks the universe is static. I don't, but. Mm-hmm his reasons for thinking that makes sense. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm right. It's just my opinion. that I don't think it's completely static. Well, I think he comes from a more materialist point of view. Than yes. Like we would on this. Yeah. But I mean, that book he wrote on time loops is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Time, time loops was the name of that book. But well, everybody, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. One of the interesting things he showed too, is that like, People have a future, you know, get information about a future disaster or whatever, and it will match up with the media reports of that disaster versus the actual disaster. So if the media is reporting something wrong, sometimes people will pick up that wrong information. So his his argument is it's not that they're picking up this event, they're picking up their learning of this event. You know, I've had an interesting theory that uh, the uh, like the Book of Revelation or some of these like prophetic th- um, visions is actually like our movies being broadcast into the past. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I know how serious I am about that one, but I've always thought that was an interesting concept. Well, imagine if people a thousand year, years ago picked up in our culture now. Yeah, I know. What, what what would they think about it? Right. They'd be very confused. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, well, we're, we're looking forward to... Uh, we're not quite sure that you're going to be doing it online or whether it's you're going to be, be there online. or not. It's going to be online? It's okay. going to be online. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Well, I can tell everybody when that's going to be. Yeah. Uh, get my, pull up my list here. So, Sarai, you are speaking on Sunday, the 17th, and that is going to be 3.50 to 4.50. And Soraya will be streaming in from New York. So, And I will set it up so you have a picture this time. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> well, last time, last time we did see you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But tonight okay. I didn't realize we were doing video. Oh, okay. <laughs> And my studio oh, is dude. not equipped to run video. I mean, it, it, it is, but you're not, I'm going to be way in the background and off, to, off, just slightly off camera. Would we, would we just see you from a distance? You, you would see the edge of me. That might be even cooler, Sarai. <laughs> the edge of you. 
All right, so let's go over to Mr. Greenfield, the uh, the Jewish bishop here. In an airplane. So, Alan, what are you going to be talking about at Strange Realities Conference? Uh, whatever people want me to talk about. Uh, if you folks that are organizers would be kind enough to... I'm speaking, I think, at 9.30 on Saturday night. Well, you are speaking at 9.20 to 10.20 on Saturday evening, the 16th. The 16th. That's central yes. time. That's central yes. time. Well, it doesn't everybody. matter what, once I get there, I will be on central time. Or, and if you think I can keep it down to an hour, you're going to have to drag me off stage. But if you will hand out index <laughs> cards and tell people I will answer any questions that I have some idea of what the answer is, and if not, I'm really good okay. at taking it, you know. Um, then I will I will just take whatever questions people want to ask. We can start um, that process when the conference begins early. We'll get, that, we'll get everyone to start at, writing know, their while, questions down. While my publisher and I are slowly making our way towards Nashville, you can mm -hmm. go ahead and hand them out because no doubt Olive, a sincere and wonderful person, will be entirely batshit crazy by the time I get into Nashville because I'm going to talk as I am right now <laughs> nonstop in an automobile that is really you? No way. You're one of the well, most quiet people I know. Well yeah. Most reserved, I know. You just you know Yeah, I went out for my uh, run last night and it was raining. That's the first time that has happened. It's a sign that the season of the witch is here. Oh, are you going to read tea leaves out of that? It is indeed. Well, I'm sure I'm that we can definitely... Tea bags. Of, of, tea all the bags. People, of all the tea people bags. that are going to be there and people online, uh, I will say for the people that are watching this either right now or later, uh, if you want to ask a question of Alan Greenfield on that evening, please feel free to do so. And it can uh, be embarrassing. I mean, I'm I don't like to do programs or presentations where I really know what's going to come up because then I'm not challenged by it and it comes out like the late Jim Mosley's standard speech which always began with non-gleaming objects were over the Cascade Mountains on June 24, 1947. I mean, it was so predictable that he mocked it off stage, you know, so... Uh, I like to be surprised. It uh, it works well for me. You hear it, guys? Throw up some curveballs. Yeah, play hardball, guys. Come up with some hard questions for Alan. Yeah, yeah. I can mean like, yeah. Are you now, have you I ever been a member of the Communist Party? Maybe. I could come up with a bunch a bunch of embarrassing questions if you want. <laughs> I could just ask you embarrassing questions for an hour, Alan. I'm inviting all the conspiranormal listeners and attendees to come up with questions that you've never heard Alan answer on any other shows, which means I'm going to need you to go listen to every show that Alan has ever been on. Yes. Right? Um, uh, because yeah. Alan is a wealth of information, but you have to press him. You have to, you have to ask the right questions in order to get the answers you're looking for. God, this is turning into a love fest. <laughs> <laughs> Let's um, because let me we, just, we, just on, love, we just love you, Alan. Why? Um, none of my wives ever did. That was the problem. But we define love in the in the traditional manner as a sir. You have an alien on your hand. No, no, no. 
You did? Oh, well, gosh, flashbacks, flashbacks. Ah! Um, I wanted to comment on the term archetype because I, I tend to define it in the same terms as Campbell and Jung, uh, but Jung, a fellow member of NICAP back in the day, uh, always maintained, despite the name of his book in the American edition, uh, uh, Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Sky, he uses the word myth in the same way that uh, Campbell does, which is to say these are powerful experiences. And Young, um, uh, I republished a, a letter that he wrote, oh, about 1957-58, where he said, Look, I'm not saying that these aren't also physical phenomena. I'm saying they resonate with people because they are archetypal, but the, they're both pretty much in the same category. Uh, gee, I'm hearing the wind from... Uh, I switched microphones because before we went on, my microphone kept in and out. and. I was trying to reveal some secrets, but... <laughs> well... And fuck the government! Well, <laughs> we're, 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 streaming, we're streaming this live, Alan. You don't want to get uh, Facebook... Zuckerberg! Down again. Zuckerberg! Zuckerberg! Yeah, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Go ahead, go ahead, Ren. Like, I'm on the same wavelength in that I... The myths and narratives, I kind of do see them as almost like they exist as entities of, unto themselves within the imaginal. But also, I think they resonate with people because I think that they are like scars on our DNA. They are so ingrained within us as human beings that they have existed from the moment, the first moment that we like looked at the stars on the prairies of Africa. Like, I think that these narratives and myths have always been with us, but it's because they betray a greater truth about our past and about where we come from and what existed in this solar system before we existed. Like, I think that there are, like, our myths and, and, and archetypes are like a map to the history that we have all forgotten. If I'm, I'm being a little vague there, but... No, 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 no. You, you're sounding Velikovskian, and that's still <laughs> right. The coffee that I drugged you with must have taken real well <laughs> that's pushing me and uh, not being very nice to Rin because he's a very original thinker and of course if you miss his talk fuck you <laughs> yeah, don't miss Rin's talk that's for sure can I say fuck you on a live yeah. <laughs> well I think you just did uh, okay you can well, definitely say that on the show we don't care about that okay well I already said it, so, and it's yeah. right there on my little byline there, Alan, F, 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 that's uh, the Hellier influence, they invented well, we're, that. We're going we're to get, uh, get uh, pulled, we'll just get completely pulled from YouTube because of you, Alan. 
That's gonna be that's gonna be a while. I, I don't think so. Fuck is on there, and all the other words <laughs> are on there, the, the including al- things that were hip are hypnotic. The, alga- the algorithm is coming for us. Yeah, and the, the hypnotic sessions are all from okay. Okay, dreamy man, you're now asleep, you low-life male son of a bitch. <laughs> you people are worms, and I hate your organs of generation. No kidding, those are out there. ASMR is uh, the current jargon for it. You, ha- you have we're, to we're get Olaf to help you for like yeah. four, five hours yeah. tonight. I was going to say, Alan, you might not want to give up your day job and, and, and promise of a, a career doing ASMR videos on YouTube. <laughs> my day job is sleeping. Uh, my night job is writing books, so I think I'm on pretty safe ground for, for now, you know, before uh, first they get Zuckerberg. And then they come for you. <laughs> so, Not me. I'm exempt. I'm an adeptus oh, exemptus. It's That's kind why of. I've been kicked off of Facebook, kicked out of the OTO, <laughs> and basically I'll probably be kicked out of Nashville, you know. Yeah. It's uh, a magic We're, we're, we're going to take we get you to written. the Wilson County line and leave you there. Okay, well, the Facebook uh, ban is a badge of honor, as far as I'm concerned. It's like <laughs> the purple art. Yeah, well. <laughs> Going to MeWe though, gosh, I don't ever go to the the home page there because it's filled with the the Q people. You know the Q people. Uh, it doesn't mean question. It means. Uh, Alan, you give them enough keywords, they're gonna they're gonna knock us off here. QAnon is a patriotic organization dedicated to the proposition. That the government is made up of loonies and the looniest. <laughs> he turned my mic off. He turned my mic off. Censorship. <laughs> let's uh, let, let's go down the line here. I want to to uh, thank you guys for coming on and doing this tonight, and uh, also for being part of the Strange Realities Conference coming um, up October fifteenth through the seventeenth here in Nashville, Tennessee. And online. Tickets are $70 for in-person and $30 for online. Uh, Soraya, we'll start with you. Where can people find you and the wonderful Where Did the Road Go? Well, that would be whereditheroadgo.com. <laughs> right. I haven't been a guest there. Yeah, you need to have Alan on your show. Yeah, you need to have Alan on your show. It's, it's, Alan is a media. Yeah, actually, it's really surprising that you never had Alan on. <laughs> think about it. It's uh, it, he he broadcasted on real radio, Alan. So you can't say some choice words. Uh, yeah, you know, I've done real radio both here and abroad, and the truth is, yeah, you have to watch what you say there. But thank God for the internet and podcasts in that sense, because that's true. We really can let our hair down that's right and uh anything you want to add there to Soraya to that your other shows oh well if you like metal you can listen to the last the last exit.org which is my metal show that I've been doing for like 25 plus years it's a headbanger folks yeah yeah Listen to that show because Soraya has really good taste. Soraya gave me all the recommendations I needed for my thrash metal playlist that I listened to when I lift weights, and it is like just the most primo shit you've ever seen in your life. So, (laughs) listen to Soraya's metal show. 
and we play stuff that nobody else has that's really good because mm-hmm. that's the stuff I seek out. He's got a pump, you know. Ah. Yeah, he will. <laughs> and Ren, when you're not uh, working out the thrash metal, uh, what are you doing and where can people find you? Um, you can read my very infrequently updated blog at Liminal Room, uh, which in, uh, liminalroom.com, which includes some um, contact info if you want to send me an email. Uh, it also includes some links to a Discord server that I run called Lunar Cry, uh, where there's just discussion on the cult and the paranormal. It's like an inclusive space for people who, who want to talk about that kind of stuff. And um, some links to some different projects I'm in. But uh, yeah, if you just want to check out liminalroom.com, that's where I have most of the uh, links to my podcast appearances and that sort of thing. Okay, perfect. And the Alan Greenfield, the bishop. Okay, I, um, I answered the question about uh, what I was speaking on, whatever you want me to. But uh, uh, Ola, my publisher, and I are talking about uh, my doing the, uh, the aboriginal version of the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram which I acquired in 1963 on Mount Carmel in Israel and performed for the first time also in Israel in uh, Yafo in uh, 2017. So I've been practicing that and it's quite different from the Crowley version, not surprisingly, or the Golden Dawn version, not surprisingly, because Crowley was a bigot and the Golden Dawn was neo-Christian sort of almost if you squint. And uh, this is uh, right out of medieval Kabbalism, uh, Kabbalistic Judaism, probably originating in Safed uh, in Israel. So uh, I will show the way that it was traditionally done, and I would like to encourage people to learn that version. They're all effective if you, you know, give them the right gravitas, but uh, this is more effective. and. Uh, just like the Latin Mass, when the when the Roman Catholic Church stopped doing the Mass in Latin, people found out what it was really saying, and it lost its numinosity. Um, however, plug number one, uh, the complete secret cipher of the Euphonauts is still selling well, and there's no reason that you shouldn't go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any of the usual outlets and buy a copy if you don't have one. Otherwise, you'll have no idea of what I'm talking about. And my super secret forbidden book, which was never published before, uh, although um, versions of it have been in uh, hand-distributed hand circulation for years, um, uh, The uh, Grail Within, which includes the ultimate secret of sexual magic, including the uh, well-thought-of scrying-in-the-flesh technique, which is guaranteed to bring, uh, at least for me, bring results. So get yourself a copy of The Grail Within. All right. Thank you, guys. I want to thank you all. And I will plug Strange Realities Conference one more time, www.strangerealitiesconference.com. There you can find a link to buy the tickets. Two tiers available, in-person, $70, uh, which at this point, if you are in Nashville uh, and you want to come, we are actually checking for a proof of vaccine our negative COVID test within 72 hours. So we I, can will have, I will have the booster 
on the 8th, this Friday. So Excellent. I will be Pfizer to uh, infinity. To the hilt, yes. Yes. Excellent. And uh, that's and the $30 online tickets. Many, many of those are available, guys. So grab those up so you can see these great presentations. All right. We will be back in about probably 10 to 15 minutes. We're going to finish this off with Aaron Gullius and Tim Banal. Take care, y'all. Live long and prosper. All right, everybody. Thank you for uh, hanging in for our uh, kind of mega episode uh, promoting the Strange Realities Conference with, uh, first of all, we had Nathan Isaac, Dr. Future and Recluse, and then Alan Greenfield, Rand Collier and Soraya, and finally to top it off, Tim Banal and Aaron Gullius. Those so, two chums. That's right. And uh, we're really happy to have all of those gentlemen, uh, all eight of them, be a part of Strange Realities Conference 2021, um, which, like we have said repeatedly and repeatedly, Tickets are still available, so we want you guys to uh, take advantage of the fact that we are streaming this online, and you guys can watch this. Or if you are in Nashville or Tennessee or somewhere in the Inverons, you can uh, come join us at SIR Nashville. We still have uh, space available for that as of this recording, so come join us. This is just for our uh, podcast listeners. So that's uh, strangerealitiesconference.com. Come check it out. And I want to say, too, that um, Serfiel and I are going to be taking a break. Uh, we're going to be pretty much going to be going dark on the feed for a couple of weeks. The next show will post sometime around November 1st or 2nd, um, which we're going to actually record that uh, from the week that we're doing this. So uh, we're going to just take a break after having done the conference and everything. So just to let you guys know, there won't be any new shows for a couple of weeks. Um, and, and also on the Patreon side as well. But if you would like to uh, still check out Patreon, that is there, uh, $5 gets you in and gets you, um, shows going back all the way to 2016 and Sir can tell you where to find that. You can find that at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. And uh, for the $10 and up people, you get to join us in our Mystic Crew Hangouts, where you get to see exclusive presentations uh, by some familiar faces and associates of the show. Uh, we will be reconvening that at some point after the conference here. Um, so we will keep you up to date on that. Uh, but uh, just look forward to seeing everybody at the conference, either yes. online or in person, and let us know if you're a Patreon. And uh, we really appreciate it, guys. Until next time, on the other side of Strange Realities. That's right. All right, guys, we'll, we'll see you later on Conspiranormal. Conference.com.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.